This lecture, Bezrat Hashem, Berfuat Lolita Bat Gisteman, and Ratzlacha Berfuat Mishpachat Shimonov, Leiluin Nishmat Avra Masud Ben Chaya Aisha Avra Mitzrak Ben Yehuda, Elka Bat Leiba, Ganit Rivka Badalia, David Ben Miriam, Simantov Moshe Ben Tamara. One uh, reminder, now I have two websites, divineinformation.com, as you probably all know, and rabbimizrahi.org. It's much more advanced. You may like it better. It's good to have two. If one has problems, then you have a backup. Plus, uh, don't forget to download my app. I don't know why people keep asking me if there's a lecture tonight. Nah, just open the app, click on events, shows you if there's a lecture or not. Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi. Download the app. Everyone who has smartphone have apps. Yeah, it's a free app. It takes a second to download. It's a, forget about that. But in general, use the app to find out if there's a lecture or not. Okay? And also the app, you can watch the live lecture on the app. You don't need YouTube. I don't know why you complain about the YouTube commercials. Who told you to go to YouTube? We got you a free app. You click on live and you watch the lecture live. You want to watch it the next day, it's still on a repeat. You watch it with the, and you can do it two times speed, one and a half time, one and a quarter. You have a lot of options, better than YouTube, no matter how you look at it. I don't know why people insist to go through YouTube. So why give the lefties any merit? Do they deserve a price for destroying the world? Use the kosher app. There's a tzaddik made at Yonah from LA, real tzaddik. He check it every day, maintain it, full of enthusiasm. Wants to bring people to, to hear Torah, to listen to Torah. Better. The app is Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi. After all of that, yesterday in Queens, we were stuck with a little dilemma. I spoke about the words of the Chafetz Chaim, and I asked, Chafetz Chaim says that when uh, we speak about Parashat Mishpatim, Chafetz Chaim says that uh, to steal, stealing is a horrible sin. Even though in the Torah it doesn't have a death penalty, like when you break Shabbat or when you're an idol worshiper, or forbidden intimacies and homosexuality, and I, you know, all of that has death penalty. And uh, many of those sins also have a cut for the soul. When it comes to stealing, don't have a death penalty for Jews. The Gentiles do have death penalty. And you don't have a cut for the soul. What is the punishment of stealing? You gotta pay double. You stole a thousand, you gotta pay two thousand. If you were caught, if you came one day and returned what you stole and confess and, and apologize, you don't even have to pay double. So, usually based on the punishment, we know how severe is the sin. For instance, if you compare breaking Shabbat to murdering, if you ask anyone in the world today, what's worse? To break Shabbat? To light fire on Shabbat? Or to just shoot someone in the head? Probably you won't find 
not even 1% of the people that would say that to break Shabbat is worse than to murder. Everyone will agree, Jews, non-Jews, that to murder is much worse than to break Shabbat. What's the truth? The other way around. To break Shabbat is worse than a murder. To break Shabbat has a permanent cut for the soul from the afterlife. If you murder someone, you don't have a permanent cut. It's a horrible scene. It's a death penalty. Both of them are death penalty. But even when you get a death penalty, there are different levels of death. Stoning is the worst one. Then comes burning. Then after that comes the... Huh? No, skila is the worst one. Skila is the first one. Then comes burning. Then you have the sword, and then you have chenek. Choking and so, so that's not on the top of the severity. Stoning and burning comes before the soul. So you see that the punishment of a murderer is much less than the punishment of Mechalel Shabbat. Also, when someone is Shomer Shabbat and he just murdered someone, he still remain a Jew. As a wicked Jew, you know, Oilanum is such a Jew. But he's still a Jew. When someone breaks Shabbat, he loses Jewish identity. He's losing his Jewish identity. But in case you're not convinced, I'll give you the punchline, and we'll move on. The halacha in Shulchan Aruch, it says, you don't bury wicked with righteous. You have to be very careful. You don't mix between righteous and wicked in a cemetery. You have a square a section A, section B, section C. If you decided that section A, you will bury righteous people who keep Shabbat, learn Torah, make sure it's all this kind of people. If you bury among the Mechalel Shabbat, you will have to reopen the grave, take him out and make another funeral and move him to a different grave. You cannot keep him there. Even if you made a mistake, you must open the grave and remove him. A very big embarrassment. People came, funeral, now you tell them, oh, I'm, we're sorry, we bury him in the wrong section. We have to move him to where the goyim are, the mechalelei Shabbat. So, the Gemara say, and this is the halacha, that's the law, the official law, you don't mix between righteous and wicked in a cemetery. Why? A part of the soul remains in a grave forever, until the resurrection of the dead. It's not fair for the righteous people that they will have such a wicked neighbor next to them for hundreds or for thousands of years until the resurrection of the dead. It's not permitted to do such thing. Now comes the Gemara, and also it's also halacha. You do not mix between big wicked people and small wicked people. What does it mean? Even among wicked people, there are different levels. Not everyone is equal. So they give an example. You have a section of murderers. In the old days, everyone was Shomer Shabbat. Until 220 years ago, it was almost impossible to find a Jew that doesn't keep Shabbat. Almost impossible. All over the world. So, everyone was Shomer Shabbat. What happened if two people had a fight? Reuven and Shimon, fist fight, this, I don't know, he broke a glass on his head and killed him. Boom, he fell and died or he pushed him from a building or something. It was in a moment of anger. Wow, what have I done? What have you done? You just murdered a person. When he dies, it was Shomer Shabbat. 
you bury him in a section of murderers. Section. There are murderers over there. You bury him, that's all murderers. Murderer one, two, three. What happened if by mistake they buried Mechalel Shabbat, that is not a murderer, Mechalel Shabbat, among the murderers? You have a section of 20 graves, 19 of them are murderers that kept Shabbat, and by mistake they made, they put one Mechalel Shabbat that is not a murderer. You have to open a grave, remove the Mechalel Shabbat out of there, and move him to a section of Mechalel Shabbat, because it's an insult to the murderers that you buried among them Mechalel Shabbat. I think that seals the argument that you understand that to be Mechalel Shabbat according to Hashem, not according to the newspaper and according to the liberals and to the lefties and to the goyim, according to Hashem. To break Shabbat, you are a bigger criminal than a murderer. As much as you hate it, accept it. It's a divine rule. It is what it is. So now, going back to what I spoke, Hafez Chaim says, if someone is a thief, it's a very big sin, very big sin. Why it's a very big sin? It's not even in a category of idol worshipping. It's not in a category of Michalalei Shabbat. It's not in the category of forbidden sex crimes. It doesn't have a death penalty. And it doesn't have a permanent cut. And it's very easy to fix. Come after five years that you stole the money to the person. Here is your money back. I apologize. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I was stressed. I was very poor. I had to feed my children. I don't know. The Yetzirah got into my head. Drove me crazy. Now I did tshuva. I'm so ashamed. Here, take your money back. Forgive me. Okay, I forgive you, and it's over. That's it. It's righteous. It, it's removed from his file. Removed completely. Once the person that was, you know, he was the victim of the stealing, once he forgave and he got the money back, that's it. The case, case is closed. However, there is something in stealing that it's really worse than even Chilul Shabbat and any other crime. What is, what's the worst? If a person dies when he still has a stolen good in his hand, stole from A, from B, from C, money, items, all kinds of things, didn't pay, the workers, stole from the neighbors, and he died. He didn't return it, he didn't apologize, he didn't regret, nothing. If you take him to hell, give him, let's say, 200 years in hell for that. He stole 50 items. He caused people agony, pain, aggravation. I don't know. Whatever you cause, now you have to be 200 years in hell. It doesn't, for, it doesn't erase the crime. There's no way to erase stealing in hell. Many other sins, you go to hell, it cleans the soul. It's very painful, but it cleans the soul. Eventually the soul gets clean and it moves to heaven if you have some merits, if you were keeping mitzvot. You don't have any mitzvot, <laughs> you're naked, you have nothing. You got clean, but you have no merit. But if you want to take a thief and put him in hell and you're going to clean his soul, there's no way to clean it. Why? Because he still has in his position, or in his house, or by his wife, or by his son, the stolen good was never returned to the original owner. 
There is no way to fix such a thing in hell. No way. So what do you have to do? They have to come back in reincarnation. He has to be reincarnated again in a new body of a baby, grow up in some areas, and then Hashem is going to make a match between him and the person that he stole from. He also died, that person. And he was reborn. Reuven and Shimon in first life, Reuven stole from Shimon. Both of them died. Now they come back. Now Reuven is Shimon and Shimon is Reuven. They're born two babies. <laughs> Reuven now is named Shimon. Shimon is named Reuven. In the first life, Reuven stole from Shimon. Now, technically, Reuven should have given back to Shimon. But now Reuven is Shimon. So Shimon is giving to Shimon. Do you understand what happened here? Not Shimon became Reuven. But it doesn't matter. I'll make it easier for you. A stole from B. They both died. A and B came back as X and Y. That's it. X stole from Y in previous life when his name was A. And Y, his name was B. Now X has to pay Y. He cannot say, oh, I'm a different person. A was uh, six feet tall. I'm only 5'5". Five five. I'm dark. He was blonde. We're not the same. He was from New York. I'm from Florida. Enough with the nonsense. Nobody cares about the box. The box of the neshama, nobody cares about. It's the actual neshama that needs the correction, not the body. Body is going to be eaten by the worms anyway. There is a verse about it. When people ask, how do you know there is a hell? Where does it say? It's a clear verse. It says, Ki lo tamut lo The worms that eats the body will not die. Will actually get fatter by the day. And the fire will not cease. There will be fire and burning the people there, you know, in the next world. It's a clear verse. The Reshaim will become ashes in hell. It's a clear verse. People never read the Tanakh. And they come, they have questions. Where does it say there's such thing hell? Where does it say eternal punishment? Where does it say resurrection of the dead? Where does it say it's going to be Mashiach? It's all clear verses. Clear verses. It takes a second to see it. <laughs> you never read it. You never open a book. Then you ask a lot of questions. Why? You never read. Anyway, it's not the topic now. So you have to be reincarnated in order for you to pay back what you stole. It's a burden. It's a disaster. Because assuming you were Shomer Shabbat, learning Torah, doing a lot of chesed, and really going to shul three times a day, your wife was modest, your kids were in good yeshivot, everything was great about you. Besides the fact that you were stealing here and there. Cheating, stealing in a business. Unfortunately, this is a common problem today. Just for that stealing, you have to be reincarnated again and be a slave of someone in the next life. Hashem will design that he will be a boss and you will be servant. You'll be a slave. For 20 years in a business, he'll take advantage on you, cheat you on a commission, steal from you behind your back until the verdict will be reached. Whatever is stolen past life, up. Now, when he took back what's his, either he will die or you will die, and the tikkun will be, end, will be ending. But the Chafetz Chaim did not concentrate on the reincarnation aspect. He talks about something else. Listen how clever it is. But we had yesterday a big question about it. 
But today I came ready. Yesterday it just came to my mind with no preparation. I had to go and look into it today to make sure how can it be. After all, when the Chafetz Chaim says something and it looks like it doesn't make sense to you, then you know who's wrong. <laughs> it's not him. <laughs> now you have to check why I'm wrong. All right? You're going to put your ego down and understand that you a little piece of dirt under his toes. And now you're going to go and try to break your head to understand what am I missing here. And that's what I've done today. Chafetz Chaim says, the first thing in Parashat Mishpatim is the laws of a Jewish slave. You bought a Jewish servant. Six years he's going to serve you, and in the seventh year you have to let him go. He's going free. If he came single, wasn't married, he would live single. If he came with his wife and children, he would live with them. If he came single, you are entitled to give him a female servant, Shifchak Na'anit, Goya, non-Jewish, and he can have kids with her. And the kids, when, you, when the servant finishes term, he is going free, but the kids and the female servant remain slaves forever. Why? They are following the mother, not him. He cannot claim, it's my children. They have to come with their father. No. I only match, match you to this Goya for you to produce another five, six servants for me. I have construction sites, farms. I need workers. Kadima, make me servants. Chafetz Chaim say, come and learn. To be a thief, it's a disgrace. You don't have the money to pay back, so they sell you like a donkey. Sell you to be a slave. Even though they don't put the Jewish servant on a rock like they put the other slave, but still, it's a big embarrassment. Sometimes he surrendered to life. He comes and says, I I cannot pay my debt. I cannot make a living. Take me as a servant, as a slave. But sometimes it's by force. Do you have the money to pay for what you stole? No. Kadima, you're becoming a servant. Now listen carefully. While he's a servant, Chafetz Chaim say, Hashem say you're allowed to let him have intimacy with the Goya. It's a sin from the writer. The Torah says, meaning a man cannot have intimacy with a woman unless she's his wife. And Goya can never be his wife. Jews can never marry Goyim. So therefore, to, to have intimacy with the Goya is a Yisrael Deoraita. It's more than eating pork. According to the Zohar, it's the worst sin. The worst. Spiritually, very big things about it. קשורה בו בעולם הבא, קשורה בו ככלב. חז"ל אקספלן יוסף fought very much with his evil inclination not to have intimacy with the wife of Potiphar because he knew that after that she will be tied to him in the next world forever. This is Kabbalistic things. But one way or the other, all of a sudden, a drastic change in the Torah, Torah ideology. On one hand, the Torah says, be very careful not to have intimacy with a non-Jewish woman. Needless to say to marry her. That's a war scene. And now all of a sudden say, oh, you're a thief? 
You'll get what you deserve. You're going to have to go with her and have kids and they're not going to be yours. So far, everything is clear. That's what we spoke about yesterday. You can watch the lecture if you want. Now comes the question. We have a rule that every goya, goya, evet knani or shifcha knanit, male and female, when you buy them to be slaves, immediately you convert them. They convert. So we asked yesterday, if she converted, that means she's Jewish. If she has kids, the kids are Jewish. They should be his kids. How do you tell him, you cannot take them. They stay here to be slaves and they're going to be forever. Why? Because they're not Jewish slaves. Jewish slaves, the Torah limit their verdict to six years. Seven years he has to go free, unless he voluntarily wants to stay a slave. Okay, then you take him to the, to the mezuzah, to the entrance, by, by the door, and you have a special tool. You make a mark on his ear. All right, he said, I love my master. I love his life. I should serve him for the rest of my life. Okay, you want it? You get it. But by the goyim, they can never be free, unless... The master gave them some kind of a punch, broke their tooth, poked their eye, make them deaf. The Mishnah brings 24 organs that if you damage them, it's a serious damage. Your punishment will be that you lost your slave. So technically, if Evet Knani wants to go free, he has to get on the nerve on his Jewish of his Jewish master. If his Jewish master comes from one country that the people have very hot temper over there, it doesn't, it doesn't take that much. It's enough that he's going to smile to him when he gets angry. The punch will come. Boy, Boom. Once the punch comes, he goes free. So you got the point. So the question is, what the Chafetz Chaim say? What kind of a punishment is that? said, look what happened to you. Because you are a thief, and because you don't pay back your debt, you became a slave. And now when you became a slave, they let you marry a Goya. And you have kids, and the kids are Goyim, and the kids will remain slaves, and you can't even enjoy them. You bring them to the world, and they say, you have no rights. So now the Chafetz Chaim concludes, look how horrible it is to be a thief. You hear the question or no? The answer, there's no question. It's just simple ignorance. Once you learn all the details, you see there's no question. Most of the questions, by the way, it's, it's only because of ignorance. 90% of the questions I heard over the years are all a matter of ignorance. Sometimes there's complicated questions, meaning it's really hard to find the answer to it. Even if you know a lot, it's questionable. You can see even the biggest rabbis in history had big arguments about that topic. One says it's like this, one says it's like this. How can it be like this? How can it be like that? No matter how you learn it, you stay confused. We're not talking about such a case here. Here it's a simple case of one or two details that were missing yesterday. When you take a goy and a goya and you convert them, the conversion is not full conversion. It's semi-conversion. They are Jewish in one way, but they are also not. What does it mean? Their 
it means that if you have children with them, the children are not Jewish. So when you take the Jewish slave and you give him a shifcha knanit that had a conditional conversion because you need to be a slave, we have to convert you. But this conversion is not a regular conversion that a non-Jewish woman become Jewish and she can marry a Jew and she can have kids and the kids are Jewish and everything is fine with her. No. It's a different, it's, we have a, a unique conversion of here. That Hashem say, it's conversion for the sake of slavery. One other detail that we were missing yesterday is there is one more detail about Eved Ivri, a Jewish slave. Usually the rule is that every male slave that becomes a slave is patur mi mitzvot asesh azman grama. Patur, you like it, it's a good topic. Eved, Eved, a male, male slave, male slave, once you convert him, right? You take uh, Ahmed, Eved Knani, Ahmed, we're converting you for, for you to be a slave. But you're an Eved Knani, you're still Knani from Knan. <coughs> okay? So what mitzvot do I keep? Only mitzvot of women. You don't have to keep mitzvot of a man. You don't have to sit in yeshiva from morning to night. You don't put filin. You don't have mitzvot that are limited to specific time. Why? Because you are under the supervision of your master. You have to serve him. Can, if he will have to, oh, I have to go to Minyan. So an hour, it doesn't work. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to sit. I have chevruta two hours in the morning, two hours in the morning. When is he going to work? So it's like a woman. A woman take care of the kids, take care of the house, take care of the farm. That's why Hashem told the women, you dismiss from tefillah b'minyan, you dismiss from tefillin, you dismiss from many, limut Torah, with chevruta. There's many, many discounts that they got in order for them to be able to function with their obligation. Okay. However, a Jewish male, it's not like a non-Jewish male. It's not like Evet Knani. It's still Chayav Bechol HaMitzvot. And that's an important detail to know. It's sometimes getting confused. Confu- you're getting confused between the, the laws of Evet Knani and Evet Ivri. Evet Ivri must continue to put filin. You know, you cannot say, oh, you became a woman now. You became a slave. You're, you're like a woman. You keep only what women have to keep. You don't have to go to Minyan, you don't have to put filin, you don't have to learn Torah. No, no, no. Some mitzvot, we have to go, we have to look into it more. I saw that it's written, potrim oto mikama mitzvot. But in general, the general rule is, just because he's poor and he couldn't pay back what he stole, you do not cut his obligation to keep Torah and mitzvot. Still obligated for life. Therefore, it's not such a bargain to hire a Jewish slave. Why? First, you have to feed him like you feed yourself. If you sleep in a comfortable mattress, you must give him the same mattress. You have to give him rights. You cannot give them dirty jobs to do. It's your brother. Someone from a different nation is not your brother. You owe him nothing. It's not from your nation. Here is your brother. 
You cannot tell him, clean the bathroom, do these jobs that you give to other slaves. He is a royal slave. So it's a very big headache. I have to feed him well, I have to give him rights, and when he leaves, I have to give him a pension. <laughs> what is this? You understand? By the way, let's say a man is a mamzer. You know what mamzer is? Illegitimate boy. What does it mean, illegitimate boy? Not every every illegitimate boy is a mamzer. For instance, if a boyfriend and a girlfriend had a baby without marriage, Itzik and Miriam, not married. She became pregnant. Baruch Hashem, they kind enough not to murder the baby, like many other women did. So there's no abortion. So the baby is born. It's a big shame. They never got married. Today it's no shame. Nobody is embarrassed of anything anymore. It used to be a shame. When I was a child, if someone had a kid without marriage, everyone was shocked. What? Not married and you had a child? No one would like it. The world is totally messed up now. So some people, lechatchila, with no shame, no, we don't want to get married, we don't believe in it. We just wanted to have a child. This child is an illegitimate child. It came without marriage, but it's not mamzer. If he wants to marry a regular Jewish girl, he can marry her. He's allowed. Mamzer means a married woman cheated on her husband and conceived from another man that is not her husband. Now a baby was born. This baby has a mark on him. Forbidden to marry any Jew besides a mamzeret. A girl that is like him. JC is not mamzer because his mother cheated with a goy. If a Jewish woman cheated with a goy, although it's a horrible crime, with a very big punishment, but it's not, the kid is not a mamzer. It's only a mamzer if she cheated with a Jew. And she and the Jew has a death penalty. The married woman, motium tu anoefe anoefet, it's written in the Torah. Motium tu, both of them. So JC is almost a mamzer, because his mother cheated with a Roman soldier. You understand? So therefore, it wasn't a mamzer, that's why they accepted him to the yeshiva of Rabbi Yoshua ben Farchia. And then when he was a teenager, the brilliant JC walks on the street with his holy rabbi, and he said to him, Rabbi, look at the pretty women over there. Rabbi said, where, where? Where? Right there. The rabbi said to him, you're not embarrassed? From all the people in the world, you showed the pretty women on the street to your own Rosh Yeshiva? He cannot learn in my yeshiva. Not the maddest guy. What is the whole Torah you're learning and you stay like this? You kicked out. Kicked him out. Later he regretted what he had done. He came back to ask for forgiveness. The problem was that the rabbi was in the middle of praying, middle of Kriyachma. He's not allowed to hint or to communicate with anyone in the middle of Shema Yisrael. Very, you have to be very serious with full devotion and intention. So JC thought that the rabbi is called to him, he turned his back to him. He said, You know what? That's it, I'm done. 
and started to collect all the homeless people, some Jews, some Goim, and became their guru. After all, he knew some Torah. They didn't know anything. They didn't even know how to read and write. People who were in the street, they didn't go to Yeshiv. And then he died. The Romans killed him. But he never started Christianity, like some people think. It was way after he died, three or four generations after. The people that started to tell stories about him never actually saw him in reality. Never. It's like the grandfather of my father. Did I see him? No. And remember, there was no pictures in those days. That's why all these fake pictures that you see JC with long hair like a woman, someone made it up. That someone was very stupid. Because 2,000 years ago, a Bachur Yeshiva would have hair like this. Even today, you cannot find in one Yeshiva in the world a guy that have hair like a woman. It's against the Torah. The Torah said that you cannot behave like a woman. A woman cannot behave like a man. You cannot wear clothes of a woman. A woman cannot wear clothes of a man. So that statue in Brazil, that J.C. have long hair like some kind of a rock and roll star, that's imagination of some idiot that made it up. You know, for sure it didn't look like that. One way or the other, he died, he didn't start Christianity. Not only didn't start Christianity, even though he did some things that he should have not done, one good thing he did say, it's written in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 17, until verse 19. That's the source. Book of Matthew is one of the four evangelists. You have uh, Mark, John, Luke, and Matthew. Matthew 5, verse 17, remember. It's written over there that J.C. say, I did not come to contradict the Torah. I came to explain and fulfill more. No one has permission to contradict one word of the Torah, not even one letter. If anyone will change one mitzvah of the Torah, one commandment, or will change one word of the Torah, and will teach differently to others, he will be cursed by the kingdom of heaven. In one sentence, he already destroyed Christianity before it even started 70 years after he died. In one sentence, it's already putting an X, big X on Islam, on Christianity, and all these fake religions. You get it or no? You say, anyone who changed, they don't keep one mitzvah, the Christian. They don't keep Shabbat, they don't eat kosher, <laughs> they don't keep anything eat pork, many of the things that they do. So according to him, if you want to be a righteous Christian, you have to keep all the commandments of the Torah. Right there, you don't have one righteous Christian in the whole world. Right there. One of the laws of the Torah, you cannot be an idol worshiper, meaning you cannot be a servant of JC, because that's idol worshiping. So he killed you from all directions, if you're clever. That's the end of Christianity, right there before it started. Before it started, it's over. So going back to what we explained, 
What happened now if you have an illegitimate mamzer? Mamzer comes from a married woman who cheated on her husband, or from a brother and sister that had intimacy. Could be rape also. Her baby was uh, born, it's mamzer. So there are a group of uh, crimes in the Torah that can create a mamzer. Boyfriend or girlfriend that have a child, the child is not a mamzer. It's also illegitimate, because it didn't come in a legit way. Because there was no marriage. It came through a sin. But he is permitted to marry to, to a regular kosher Jewish girl. Also, if you have a Jewish woman who married a goy, the marriage is nothing. A, a Jewish woman cannot marry a non-Jew. But let's say she became pregnant now, and a baby was born. It's 100% a Jew. It's illegitimate. He came from forbidden relationship. This legitimacy problem does not make the baby a mamzer that is unable to marry. You can do tshuva. I know I have many of them that are sitting in yeshivot, mother is Jewish and the father is a goy. Few of them, the father is an Arab, terrorist, <laughs> in the Palestinian territories. And now, you know, the problem is that according, the Muslims, according to their Nonsense is the religion follow the father, which is very stupid because most of the time you don't even know who the father is. How do you know who the father is? A woman comes to the hospital to give birth. Can you prove who the father is? No one can prove such thing. Today we have DNA, you need to perform DNA. But back in time, when Islam started, it just shows you how foolish this religion can be. It can definitely not be divine. Because how can you determine if the person is Jewish or Muslim or Christian based on the father when in, you never know who the father is for sure? So every human being in the world will have a question mark on him every second of his life. There will never be a way to prove. How can it be? God would do such a stupid thing. You get it or no? The mother, you see where the baby came from. You cannot hide it. She gives birth, you see where he came from. You know who the mother is, but you never know who the father is. There's no way to know. She can say this the father. Sometimes she doesn't even know who the father is. You know? So anyway, going back to what I started to say. So today, if you have a, a, a mamzer and a mamzeret, they get married. They're allowed. Also, mamzer can marry a convert. A woman that was born not Jewish, converted to Judaism, she's keeping mitzvot now, she's a regular Jew, she can marry a mamzer. The question now is, if a mamzer had intimacy with a regular Jewish girl, not mamzeret, and a child was born, what is this child? What's his status? Mamzer. It's enough that one of the parents is mamzer, the children are mamzerim, father or the mother. If that's the case, they will continue to multiply mamzerim forever. Right? You have a child that is a mamzer, he will get married one day to someone, he won't say that he's a mamzer. All his kids will be mamzerim, and all their kids will be mamzerim. It could be millions of mamzerim. Well, the second one marries a mamzeret, then it's... 
Why? Mamzer and Mamzer. It's all, no matter who is Mamzer, the father or the mother or both, the kids will be Mamzerim. They can marry each other. If Mamzer has baby with Mamzer, that baby is a Mamzer? Of course. Needless to say, if one of the parents is Mamzer, the kid is Mamzer. If both of them are Mamzerim, isn't it needless to say? Kalva Homer. However, who knows there's one way to stop that problem? Very good. Shifcha Knaanit. You take a non-Jewish woman, you tell her, we want you to be a, a, a female slave. Shifcha Knaanit. We convert her that semi-conversion that we talked about. And the mamzer can marry her. No, then after that you release her. You release her. Once you release her and you have a child with her, the child is not a mamzer anymore. That's a very, very interesting trick. Now the question is, can we do it today or no? Come to Christine. Christine, we have a, prop- we have a proposal for you. No slavery. There's no such a law. It's reality that slavery stopped in a modern world. It's continuing in other places. We have slavery in other countries. But democratic countries, there's no slavery. But, but there's no forbidden law against slavery. Technically, if some Goya wanted to be a Shifcha Knaani today, she could. What stops you from that? There is any law in a throughout history, one day they made up a law, there's no more slavery, no. It just stopped by itself. No one will do it today. I'm talking hypothetically speaking. It's the same thing like men used to marry more than one woman. It's still, it's still allowed today from the Torah. The Ashkenazim, they have a restriction by Rabbeinu Gershom Maor Agola. He made a thousand and ten years ago a decree. The European men, Jewish men, cannot marry more than one woman. Why? He was very afraid of the Christians. They were very violent in those days. I want to remind you the Spanish Inquisition and Portuguese. The, the Christians used to be very violent like the Muslim, the Crusades. They used to go to places and murder people and rape them and cut their heads off and do horrible things just like the Muslim did in Israel now on October 7. Christians used to be very violent. But at one point they realized the violence brought them nothing. Nothing. They did not succeed. So they changed their strategy. They started to hunt with their mouth and money. Missionaries. Come, pray the Lord. He's taking all your suffering. Don't worry. How much you need for rent? We are here for you. Come on Sunday. We'll take care of it. You need mezuzot? We get it for you. Of course. We are so Jewish. That's how they hunt people. No more killing. No more torturing. No more hanging people. No more burning pregnant women. Opening their stomach. Pulling the baby out in the middle of town. They stopped doing it, the Christians. Now the Muslim took their place. That's what's happening right now. So, in a time, a thousand years ago, the Christian used to go crazy. When they see a Jew married to two or three women, and they have only one, it was against their religion. Christianity doesn't allow it. And against the law of their land. 
just like now, you can see a Muslim in Brooklyn marry four, four, four women, Americans will get angry about it. What's going on? It's against the law of America. And Allah, actually, if a man marry more than one woman in America, he goes to jail. It's actually a serious crime. Bigamy, I know. So, what are you going to tell this Muslim? Ahmed, why you marry five girls? Why not? I'm a Muslim. But you live in America. <laughs> America. Soon America will become Gaza. We're taking over the world. You're not going to tell us what to do. What are you going to do? So the government is closing their eyes. There are people here in America that have more than one wife. Muslims. They don't want to mess with them. They don't want riots. They don't want violence. Okay, let it go. So one way or the other, one way or the other, Rabbeinu Gershom felt that it will increase the anti-Semitism and will create riots and pogroms. So he made a decree, no one is allowed to marry more than one woman. But in the Arab countries, Muslims were marrying more than one, so Jews also were allowed. So Jews in Yemen, in Morocco, in other countries, they were marrying more than one woman. There is any place in the world that one day this law stopped? No. It's still in effect. According to the Torah, it's still in effect. But no one will do it. At least not in the open. No one will do such thing. You know anyone? You ever heard anyone say, oh, I marry more than one? Actually, I one time went to Las Vegas. One time I went to Las Vegas. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I have a Shabbaton. They drive me to the parking lot of the big shul. One guy showed up with two women walking with him. Hi, Rabbi. Welcome to our town. I know you hate this town, but I'm glad you came. Please meet my wife. One go. Please meet my second wife. They both live with him. He's married to two women. Both of them are converts. He married to two converts, and they're happy living with him. <laughs> Can you say he violated the rules of the Torah? It's, could be Hilul Hashem, could be, you can find what to blame him for. But you get the point? The point is now, you take Christina, you tell her, we want you to be a, a slave for a week. We'll pay you very nicely for it, don't worry. You're going to make a big, big compensation. We will make you officially a shifchak na'anit. We will release you the next day. You won't even have to clean one room. Don't worry. Don't get nervous. Even though you work maybe in a restaurant and you clean all day, don't worry. We're not taking you to clean anything. We just want you to agree to become shifchak na'anit. She said, okay. What do I have to do? Just say that you want to be a, the slave of this guy, Itzik. Okay, I do. Itzik, release her now. You let her clean uh, five, six minutes. That will be official. Then he releases her. Once he releases her, you take another mamzer. Let's call him John. John, come marry her. But when you make her shifcha, you have to convert her, of course. They do the conversion like they did in Shifchak Nani. Once you release her, she's a regular Jew. So two things she has to agree, to be a slave for one day. And, yeah, and to be a slave for one day, and 
to agree to be Jewish, because that's it, after that she has to keep Shabbat, she has to keep mitzvot. You can't do it if you know she's not going to be religious. So you can technically do it with all these thousands of women that are waiting now online to convert to Judaism. Technically. So let's say there is a nice, handsome, smart, very, very big Talmid Chacham Mamzer, Jew. And he's Mamzer, what is it's his fault? His mother cheated. But he is learning, he's, he cannot find a good Shiduch. Don't worry, like this, uh, this girl, she wants to convert. Oh, yeah, she's beautiful, she's so righteous. Okay, we will legalize you and your children will all be kosher. We'll make her a slave for one day, even though she did nothing. That conversion, after the master, will release her right away. And she's a kosher Jew now. And if you marry her, your children are all legit. She's happy. He is happy, both of them are in love, and you cut the genealogy of Mamzerim. Now go find rabbis that will agree to sign on this halacha, and good luck with that. What I spoke about now, it's all hypothetically speaking. Question is, what's the biggest rabbis in the world will think about this idea? Will they agree? Because sometimes in life, you have things that you don't consider. Even though legally it's allowed from the Torah, but there is other, other reasons that the Chachamim would say not to do it. Not that it's, not, it's a violation of the Torah, no. I'll give you an example. About 10, 15 years ago, Maritain, Uvdan, the whole, there's all kinds of terms that it's, okay, doesn't look good. Like they say in English, it's kosher, but it stinks. It smells. This fish is kosher? Very kosher, but smell it. Anyway, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, there was one guy from New York who invented a kosher switch. For Shabbat, that people can turn the lights on and anything they want to turn on with that switch, that they will be allowed to do it on Shabbat. What was the concept of this kosher switch? When you press the button, nothing happened. You just move a piece of plastic. If I press a button, right, this is stand right here. There's poles. There is a device and this this switch sending constantly pulses every few seconds. Every 10 seconds, it sends a pulse, automatically, without me touching it. The problem with that pulse is that there is a piece of plastic blocking it. It doesn't get to its destination. When you touch now the device, you touch it, you move the piece of plastic, but not right away. If it's right away, it's still not allowed, right? Because it's plastic pressure. You know right away that it's gonna turn. Even though it's grammar, but it's still not allowed. He doesn't move right away. You just touch a button, nothing right now is happening. The computer has some kind of a scrambler. The computer pick up a random number. One time 17 seconds, one time 12 seconds, one time 5 seconds. Every time someone press it, the computer decide when to move that plastic. One time I would move it now, next time I would move it in 15 seconds. 
So there is no guarantee that it will move right away from my action. It may happen 10, 15 seconds later. Who, who decides? Not me. The computer decides. Plus, I do not touch any electric. I only move a piece of plastic. What's wrong here? Nothing. He went to very big rabbis, and they started to give him letters of endorsement. It's culture, even videos they made. One rabbi from Queens, one rabbi from Long Island, one rabbi from other places. He even came to me. I checked what he showed. Halachically, I don't see a problem here. Tough. After he got a few nice endorsements and videos, he started to produce. Some people put it in their homes. Imagine this. Don't need a timer anymore. People press a button, they turn the light on and off. All of a sudden, one very big rabbi, in the, middle, in, the middle, in the meantime he passed, spoke against it. What are you doing? It's not allowed. It's this, it's that. Gave a very bad speech about it. Immediately, all the rabbis that gave endorsement to it got so scared, they pulled it out. I personally didn't like the way they did it. As one way to come and say, according to my understanding, it was kosher. It's kosher. I don't see anything wrong with that, but a very big posek said otherwise. So I canceled my opinion to the big rabbi's opinion, and I'm not thinking, who am I? Once he said what he said, I cancel my endorsement. That's a kosher way to back up. I didn't like the way they did it. The way they did it, they threw the guy under the bus. He didn't tell us all the story. We didn't understand. We didn't know exactly. It, they made him like a crook, and it wasn't the case. I'm a witness. He bought, he showed me everything, he showed me how it worked. Show me the device, show me the papers, show me how it's, how exactly what happened when you pray, everything. He showed everything. And based on the way he showed, you saw right away that it's permitted. Why the big rabbi went against it? I have only one guess. Allah it's perfectly kosher. What was he worried about? That he will destroy the special holiness of Shabbat. Because remember, now people would see religious people turning lights on and off, tick tack tick, elevators, that. I mean, you're gonna, it will look like a weekday. Then what will happen later? No one will remember one day that it's forbidden to turn the lights on on Shabbat. So people will, will eat also regular switches. He saw probably the entire picture, which others didn't see. This. Permitted, yes. Allahically, you cannot say it's not allowed. But there's other reason, it could be psychological reason, like you say, Marit Ain. It will make a lot of people then later on turn regular lights on. It's already going to become a way of life. So that idea went down the drain and it's over. I just want to remind you, in case you don't know, when Shabbos Timer came out, the world was shocked. First idea that you set up timer before Shabbat and it will turn the lights on and off on the time you choose. Do you know how many big rabbis were against it? Among them, the biggest posek in America, Rav Moshe Feinstein. He was very much against it. According to Rav Moshe, Shabbos timer is not allowed. 
But now, you know, one house in the world that doesn't have Shon Shabbat. The biggest rabbis in the world have Shon Shabbat in their homes. But sometimes the shock of a drastic change, it's the shock, it's so severe that it takes people time to digest what just happened. It takes time to digest. I say, I said it to my student many years in yeshiva, that there is one halacha the chachamim, the rabbis, the sages made that saved Judaism. They wouldn't make that halacha, we would not be here as Jews today. That would be the end of us. Thanks to Chazal, Judaism was actually saved. Who knows which halacha? Chachamim made decrees, decrees. One decree they made that without that, we would, we would lose everything. That decree saved us. Who knows what? Isur Amira Legoi. You are not allowed to give instructions to Goim to do Melacha for you on Shabbat. Chris, turn the lights on for me. Sandra, make me coffee. Heat up water. Hold here. Sew this. Write this. It's so misunderstood. Rab says, you're not allowed one guy to tell another guy. Go to a Goy, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's very hard to find to Goim. Hey, Chris, tell Ahmed to do this. It's a little bit very complicated. But to tell Goim was a common way. Many Goim walk by Jews. Why did it save Judaism? Technically, from the Torah, there's no problem that the Goy does things for you. The Goy made you coffee. No. The Goy just sought something for you on Shabbat. The Goy just wrote something. The Goy, uh, oh, I need to write a check to the gardener. He's here at the door. Hey, Chris, come. Make a check, pay, or pay it to the gardener on Shabbat. The guy does it. The cleaning lady, she does it. Why the Chachamim forbid that? They already saw what would happen in two generations. Now imagine now how many greedy people you have in the world. You agree that at least half of the people are greedy? they money hungry? Okay, so, you know, you have, I don't know, a million Jews in the world, half of them are greedy, okay? So now, they have businesses. They have to close on Shabbat. Why closing? Chris, you are my Shabbos guy. We go together to the business. You bring the car. You drive me to the store. You open the door for me. You turn the lights on. You open the gate. You eliminate the alarm. And now, whatever I tell you, you do. Customer come, what do you want? I want this suit. Check it out. Here, ring, $250. This, the shoes, $200. The guy does everything. The Jew sit over there on Shabbat and give instructions to his goyim. Do this, turn the lights on, this, check this, call the thing, call that, call order new ones. Right or wrong? But you know what would happen? The one time that Chris went to the bathroom, or Ahmed, and the customer with five suits waiting by the register, what do you think would happen? Ahmed, where are you? In an important place. Come out, there's a customer here. I'm sorry. My stomach. <laughs> Yalla, enjoy. Two or three generations, no one would know about Shabbat b'chlal. Even now, you won't feel anything on Shabbat. They drive, they take you places, you go shopping, they go, it does for you, do this, do that, do that. 
Shabbat would be a regular working day. No one would stay home. People would want to make money. Today it's a million times worse with all the stupid games and the picnics and places that are not kosher to begin with. What do we do for Shabbat? We go to the mall. What? We take the guy. The guy is going to buy for us. We buy this, the sales. What kind of a Shabbat is going to be? After two, three generations, Shabbat is over, Judaism is over. You get the point or no? So you see, here's a perfect example. To tell the guy to do something, the Torah never forbid that. According to the Torah, did I do anything wrong? No. The Chachamim made that decree. Without that decree, it will be the end of us. So let me ask you this. The Chachamim that made this decree, who nominated them to make this decree? If Hashem did not forbid that in the Torah, who are you to decide what's allowed, what's not allowed? Oh, so the Torah actually have a, the answer to this. Whatever the Chachamim say, of every generation and generation, you must listen to them. Do not move left or right from their instruction. Someone who will not obey the scholars of his generation, Chachamim, the sages, what punishment you will have to give him? Who remember what's written in Parashat Shoftim? Parashat Judges, Parashat Shoftim, Deuteronomy. No, what's the end of, in, by the, in the bottom of the page? And someone who will not obey the Chachamim should be put to death. Clean him from among your nation. Doesn't deserve to leave. Here you go. Who gave the Chachamim the authority to make rules? Hashem. And there's another place it's written, Make a fence around my fence. Sometimes my fence won't be high enough. I needed to make an, a higher fence around it. Depend on the need. I'll give you a perfect example. 300 years after we got the Torah, Jews were very, very holy, modest people. You never had a case that a Jewish single man will dare to talk to a Jewish single girl directly. People were very modest. If there is a, now, a, for the sake of marriage, they date. But other than that, nobody talks to girls. She's not my wife. How can I talk to her? Okay. After 300 years, people level started to go down. How are you, girl? How are you? How are you, guy? How's your learning? How's yeshiva? When you coming back home? How are your parents doing? Oh. One thing leads to another. The Yetzirah begin. You open a little window. Right away the Satan penetrates. That's how it goes. So what happened? David Amelech and his Beddin, King David was the head of the Beddin. He saw that this problem begins. He made a decree. 
What's the decree? A man and a woman cannot isolate themselves in a closed place. Locked, shades on the windows, no access to other people to enter the room. It's called Isur Yichud. Yichud when, when you meet Yachid together with a girl in an isolated place. If you do it in a room that any second people can enter the door, the door is not locked. You are afraid to do something wrong. Any second, someone in the office is opening the door. If you do it in a store and people walk by the street and all the windows are open and there's no blinds, you're also afraid. Basically, any place that someone can surprise you any second, that's no yichud. However, if you lock yourself in a place that nobody can come in, it's locked, or the shades are down, or stuff like that. So something like that, it's forbidden. Who made it forbidden? King David, not the Torah. Why King David made it forbidden? Because he started to see what about to happen. Before boys and girls are going to start having forbidden relationship, the Torah told me, and the rabbis that will come after me in every generation to watch, to be the guards, to make a fence around the fence. And therefore, you see, I give you another example. On Shabbat, you're not allowed to prepare medicine. Today, nobody prepares medicine. You just go to the pharmacy and buy a bottle. But in the old days, they used to make the medicine naturally. Take leaves, take this, take water, take, heat it up, mix it, put garlic, you know, grind things. While making medicine, you can break the laws of the of Shabbat five, six times, just to prepare one-time medicine. One time. Shechichat samemanim, it's called. So it's not allowed to prepare medicine on Shabbat. It's not allowed to take medicine on Shabbat. The Torah didn't say you're not allowed to take medicine on Shabbat. The Torah says you're not allowed to grind on Shabbat. You're not allowed to heat, to boil water on Shabbat. You're not allowed to paint or to dye something on Shabbat. But the Torah didn't say you're not allowed to take medicine on Shabbat. The Chachamim made that decree. Medicine is forbidden. Why? If you will allow medicine, thousands of people every Shabbat will have headache, fever, problem. They run right away to make medicine. A woman see a child suffer. Immediately she grind the leaves, do this, whatever, and she'll break Shabbat. It's a death penalty, it's no joke. So, medicine are forbidden. However, medicine that you take daily, like vitamins or antibiotic, it is permitted. Why? What's the difference? You don't prepare it on Shabbat, you already prepared it in advance. Medicine that used to have a jar, that they make for a month, for two months, it's no problem, you take it every day. The chance that you will run out of it exactly on Shabbat is not so high. Something that is rare, you need to prepare fresh, it's not allowed. Today is really no difference. So why we don't change it today? Anybody, nobody prepare medicine today. The, the nature change. Allowed to take medicine. Technically, it should have been allowed. Why we do not overrule this verdict of the Chachamim? Because we cannot afford to become like the reform, reform people 
that started to change minor things in the beginning over 200 years ago and then more and more and more and today they are less Jewish than the Goim. Take a reformed Jew, there's nothing Jewish about him. Nothing. Now one little thing is Jewish about him. Nothing. Many of them are gays, many of them are of officially Goim. The reform married 200 years already with non-Jews. They mix non-stop with non-Jews. You don't even know if they're Jewish or not. You must assume everyone who tells you I'm a reformed Jew, you have to look at him as 100% a Gentile. 100%. You cannot give him aliyah, you cannot marry him, you cannot count on him. How they became like that? How? They started to change little things. Ah, that's not relevant. The next generation, oh, my, my father say that this is not relevant. I say this is not relevant. That's not relevant. That's not relevant until they marry men with men, marry Jews with goyim, eating pork on Yom Kippur, playing piano in Yom Kippur, singing non-Jewish songs, driving on Shabbat, eating shrimps, eating cheeseburger, and doing horrible other things. What is Jewish about them? Zero, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. How did it start? By minor changes. That's how people are. You know, in Hebrew there is a say, notnim lo etzba, otzet kol hayad. You give him a little finger, he wants the entire hand. Once you surrender a little bit by 1%, you can kiss goodbye the other 99%. If you're not sure, look at the Palestinians. They'll give you a good example. The more you surrender to them, the more hungry they become. So, this, by the way, was only an introduction to the lecture. I was just explaining the question from yesterday. And it took over an hour. Now it's time to start tonight's lecture. Any questions so far? I, I concluded everything. Benji, did I leave anything open? Don't make me drive home now at uh, 1 a.m. and in the middle on the road to remember, oh, I didn't answer that question. I wish I can go back to Brooklyn and answer it. And the person that you have to pay back that has to come back to work is in a bad also? Yes. That's why it says that before a person dies, you should forgive the people that owe him money. For his own good, not for them. No, I want revenge. 30 years I waited for the money, play games with me. Why should I forgive him? Not for him, you fool. You want to come back in reincarnation to receive it? You one step from heaven. You one step from heaven. The Rambam is waiting for you in Rashi. Come! Welcome! No, no, I gotta collect 30 bucks. Ruven <laughs> owe me 30 bucks. Do you get the point or no? By the way, if you're already in the mood of asking questions, let me ask you a question. Why we punish an illegitimate child for his mother's crime? Where is the justice of Hashem? A woman cheated on her husband. She is a criminal. Why the baby that is born have restrictions against him? Punish the mother, which the Torah does punish the mother. That penalty to the mother and to the noef. But why the child is illegitimate? Why Hashem did such thing? 
Leave the child alone, the child is fine, he's normal. Go against the real criminal, the noef and the noefet. Good question, no? You know what you sound like? I'll tell you what you sound like. Why Israel did not flood the tunnels, you know? I spoke to a few ministers in the Knesset. So why are you not flooding? You already started with the flood. You prepared everything. Flood the tunnels. We have information from Arab prisoners that they, they keep moving the Jewish hostages in those tunnels. And security. They know we're about to do it. They're not that dumb. So they spread the Jews in every tunnel that if we flood it for sure, we'll kill our own brothers. So it's the same thing here. He said, we want the woman not to dare to violate a crime by punishing someone else. That's what the Arabs do. They put people, other innocent people, they covered behind them. And, and we say, well, there's nothing we can do to them. Why? Somebody else will be punished. I'm asking why. Here it's not Arabs. Here is Hashem's word. Hashem said the boy will suffer all his life. I want to get married. Well, we're very sorry for you. We also want you to get married. But you cannot get married. You need a mamzeret. What are the odds you're going to find a mamzeret? By the way, you should know there are many people in the world that are mamzerim, but nobody knows about it. What happened with them? Hashem kills them young. Car accident, age 16, 17, overdose, all kinds of things like that. They die young. Why Hashem killed them young? Because nobody knows them mamzerim. Therefore, no one can stop them from marry others and bring more mamzerim to the world. But if people know his mamzer, we can live long life, no problem. People already know who he is, that's it. But Allah has said what to do with him. So, what does it mean mamzer? It means mamzer vaday, the Gemara says. Not possibly mamzer. Possibly mamzer is nothing. You don't have a proof. What do you mean I don't have a proof? I saw a married woman going into a hotel room with a man that is not her husband. In the middle of the day. What did she go there? To watch TV? You cannot assume anything. Worse, her husband come and say, I barely touch her. We don't have such good relationship. All of a sudden, she's pregnant. Chance that it's for me, the husband says, it's very, very small. The entire year I was with her maybe once or twice. Probably someone else. It's not a proof. Rov be'ilot achar ba'al When a married woman is pregnant, we must assume it's from her husband. So when are you going to be able to determine for sure that this baby is mamzer? The answer is almost never. Almost never. Even domelo, it's not a proof. Almost never. The only way you can prove it, if it's the husband is overseas, or they are separated for two, three years, and you saw her intimate with another man in the middle of the act, not behind the door, not when you heard voices, not when someone told you that he saw. No. 
two witnesses must come and say we actually saw that they are together mamash in the middle we saw what are the odds that people would see such thing the answer is probably never that's why we had a case one time unbelievable case one of my Baalei Tshuva came to me to ask me a question. He said, you know this guy? Yes. You made him religious. Yes. You made me religious. You made him religious. My parents and his parents in Russia were very good friends. His father is not his father. His father said to the mother, you cannot have kids with me. It doesn't work. Go with this guy. He will make you pregnant. Look how dumb people were. They didn't know halachot. Go with this guy. I don't know, his friend, someone he knew. He agree. He doesn't mind. You'll be pregnant. And no one should know. And he told it to my father. So this kid is a mamzer. I mean, I want you to know. I mean, you're his rabbi. Tomorrow people would ask you about him for shiduch and all of that. And it was happening. People were asking me about him for Shiduchim. You should know at least not to Chas Shalom set him up with a, with a kosher girl. He's, gonna, he's a mamzer. So I went to a very big rabbi. He told me it doesn't matter. He's kosher. That guy's sister was already married with kids. There's uh, consequences. I say why? It's because there's no proof. You don't have two witnesses that saw that man. The father say, the mother say, a, a woman can come and say, I cheated. Here, look at my text, look at my emails. I was in that hotel, look at the receipt. I did it. You don't believe him. The video pause. Benji thinks he's in a picnic here. Benji, you need to sit in front of the camera for, for emergency. What happened? I'm charging. What's going on? I'm charging. People are going crazy now at home. You just cut the live broadcast. Maybe Hashem doesn't want them to know about that story. Anyway, Banem line, he told me the Chacham is legit. Even if a woman come and say, I cheated, I was here, here is the proof, here is the receipt, here is that, here is this. You don't believe her. The husband can continue to be married to her. Why? Unless he caught her himself. Huh? Unless he caught her himself. Even that, it's a, if he caught her, obviously he won't want to be with her. But you cannot make the children mamzerim based on him ca- catching her. You need two witnesses. The answer is because maybe she want to get rid of him. She's lying. He doesn't want to give her a get. The husband doesn't want to give her a get. Five years, she's begging for a get. She suffers with him every day. She says, you know what? The only way to get rid of him is to convict myself. She comes, make up a story, make fake text. Here, this guy was with me. Come, confess. Today there's no death penalty, so no one can kill him or her. So they say, we, we cheated. Now the bed didn't force him to give her a get. He cannot touch her. 
We don't believe her. So technically, to find a mamzer, it's not even one out of a thousand. Benji, yesterday I told you to bring that battery. I already this saw is, it happening. I saw a, it. This is a battery. No. So, why it's, so battery. why it's not charging? I don't know why. You don't know why. I don't know. You don't know why. Do you want to borrow my camera now? No, it's not the camera. It's his phone. We got him a brand new phone from LA. Yona the Tzaddik. Got a special phone just for the live broadcast. With an extra battery. The Satan finds his way to own things. What can he do? Anyway, huh? It's not charging. I don't know why it's not charging. It says it's charging. The wire is not charged. good. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, cut it off. Let's move it on. I told him yesterday you need an extra battery pack. With a wire on the table, there's batteries that can stay a week. This is for the. The microphone. Where, where else am I going to put it for the... It's a splitter, Benji. Splitter. <laughs> Try to. Now I have to be the tech guy to learn how to do Tov, let's go on. So far, any questions? Yeah. With the mamzer. Huh? With the mamzer. So if there were two aiders, it's legitimate that he really is a mamzer. That's it. You can never... Yeah, so how would you answer the question? So why is the boy higher? Oh, that question we didn't answer. Thank you. The answer is the boy is guilty. The boy is guilty. What do you mean he's guilty? He was just born. First day in his life. He's a reincarnation of someone who used to go with married women in his past life. Everything Hashem does is measure for measure. He used to cheat with married women. He used to do things like that. Oh, this is a girl now. Mamzeret. She used to cheat on her husband with other men. Now she is born. She did it for her kids in the past life. Now she's going to feel what she has done to her kids in her past life. But this kid was chosen from thousands of souls that were waiting to be reincarnated, Hashem match each soul to the right family. One soul will be born in a very lefty, anti-God house, like Bernie Sanders in Machimo. This is going to be your father. From there, you have to search for me. What are the odds? One to a billion. Imagine Bernie Sanders will have a righteous boy. No chance for that. You have a very hard test. The other boy, you will be born to Ravel Yashiv. What do you see? <laughs> a holy legend, all his life, Torah. You have an easy mission and you have a very hard mission. You going to get married right away, first Shidduch, and you will suffer 15 years in dates. I told you once a story that I had a guy. If the man or woman children, that the child has to die. Right. That's also very, very important to know. If a boy, if a man and a woman actually really repented, 
Now, as a part of the repentance, Hashem will do a big favor for them to take away that mamzer from the world. Why? Because if you get married and bring more mamzerim, they will have a tribe of mamzerim. What good is this tshuva? Their tshuva. If there are already 50 mamzerim in the world, grandchildren, grand-grandchildren. So as a favor, Hashem is removing them from the world. It's complicated. Only Hashem knows how to do it. I mean, obviously, there's no human that can judge such things. But we know that we have rules. The rules are solid. No one is born with a defect or permanent problem right away to the world unless he's guilty from past life. There's no such thing. Babies don't commit crimes and no sins. They are guilty of something. Any surim below Avon. Yes. What about him? Yeah. No. And what, do you, what was the expectation from him? To see all the stupid people that come to buy from his father a statue that was made five hours ago. It's still drying. Excuse me, how much you sell this god for? This one, 200. This god is how much? This one, 500. Why? He can break the head of this god. Look at him. People buy statues. Go in, buy statues, and bow down to those statues. Who made the statue? Made in China. The machine. Machine made gods. How many Buddha statues do you have in the world? Probably millions. How did they make it? I'm sure they're not handmade. Some factory who make gods. What is your job, sir? I'm in the business of manufacturing gods. There's a lot of stupid clients for it. If you remember when COVID came, you saw the video in India, how they come with the tractor, the Indians, they have thousands of statues there in line, in the big temple. They crushed all of them to, to dust. Then there was subtitle. They asked them, what are you doing? We're killing all these fake gods. They couldn't save us from the COVID. Million people died here. What good they are for? You couldn't figure it out before you fall. You needed COVID to tell you that these pieces of metal cannot help you. I know it sounds funny, but it's reality we live in. And they didn't, they, they, China forgot to make a model that is good for COVID. They had one for this, one for... Okay. Anyway, so the idea is that any surim below Avon. There's no suffering unless there was a prior sin. And all the suffering are all midah keneged midah. Measure for measure. If you become blind, there's a reason why Hashem attack your eyes. You did something horrible in this life or in past life. But your eyes committed a sin. Your stomach suffered. You maybe eat non-kosher, maybe you do other things. That relates to the stomach. Today we don't know. I said yesterday, in the old days, it used to be prophets. You come to the prophet and he tells you what you have to fix. He looks at you. You are not good with this. You're not good with that. Improve this. Stop with that. Okay. Today, since we don't have a prophet, who are the prophets of the generation? Who are the prophets of the generation? Who are the prophets of the generation today? The answer is... The suffering. The suffering is the lie detector. It tells you what you're guilty of. 
What are you guilty of? For instance, if the suffering makes you unable to learn Torah and to commit the commandments, practice the commandments, then you know you are being punished for something you have done. If the suffering does not interfere with your schedule, you can still learn Torah, you can still commit, you can still do everything, then it's suffering of love. Those who Hashem loved the most, He sent them suffering. Now I know what you're going to say. Oh, you know what? So don't love me too much. A little bit is good. And if you love me too much, you're going to begin to make me sick and problems and lose money and who knows, go to jail. Who wants this? Uh, don't love me too much. But we have to understand, if, if you love me so much, why you send me suffering? Who did Hashem love the most in the world? Yaakov Avinu. No one had more suffering than him. Who did Hashem love the most in the world? King David. No one had more suffering than him. Who did Hashem love most in the world? Yosef Patsadik. 13, 12 years in prison, complete innocent. His brothers, this, a disaster. His life was a disaster. The, mo- the people that Hashem loved the most, suffered the most. Moshe did not enter Israel. Aaron, two of his sons died. Every person in the Torah... That Hashem loved the most, not in a generation, in the history of the world, had the biggest amount of suffering you can imagine in the entire world, ever. So we see a pattern here. The more I love you, the more I torture you. Why is it? To multiply your reward in the eternal world. If you're supposed to get this level... They'll send you some sicknesses, problems, children, this, war, jail. Now your level went up three times higher. For eternity. When you look back at those suffering that you cry and you were broken about, you say, wow, can't believe I was even crying for something like that. If I only knew that it multiplied my eternal life to a much, much greater level of pleasure, spiritual pleasure, I would beg for more suffering. I would never even go to the doctor. I would not even pray for Hashem to take it away. Think about it. It's a whole different concept. Why why you live with the suffering? Why not? It's wonderful. I'm able to learn Torah? Yeah. I'm able to practice all the mitzvot? Yeah. So I live with a constant back pain. It's hard for me to bend down. Sometimes when I lay down, I feel pain. It doesn't prevent me from being righteous. I still practice all the mitzvot. Okay, I'll live with the suffering. Oh, you have all kinds of problems with your teeth. I went to the dentist. He did what he did. I still have pain. I live with the pain. Well, suffering erased the sins. Et asher yoav Hashem yeyasro. But the good thing about suffering, when the suffering are actually a punishment... They are telling you what you have to check. You have headaches, migraines. Why? You don't learn Torah. If you would learn Torah with full focus, you think you would have headache? Why the brain send pain to certain parts of the body? Because it doesn't have anything else to do. The captain of the nerve system in the body is sitting now in a control room and send you all kinds of pain pain here, pain there, pain in the leg 
If you're, you're back, you have a terrible sciatic nerve. You cannot move. Take pins. Oh, oh, wow, you can't move. Can, can't even bend down, nothing. If I come with a hammer, boom, hit you on, a, on your knee. Break your knee now. The bone. Pain is beyond words. The pain in the back is gone. The brain has now an emergency. Sends all the pain to the knee now. What happened to the pain in the back? It's on, it's on silent right now. I don't have enough to send to there. All the messenger went to the emergency place. Just like the police. Police giving tickets. What? For seatbelt. Excuse me, why drive without seatbelt? Emergency! A plane just hit the Twin Towers. All units to downtown Manhattan. Go, go, forget about the seatbelt. All <laughs> the police of New York came to downtown. Oh, what about all the criminals who speed on the highway now? We have time for them now. Today I dropped two pairs of tefillin in Manhattan. The Bukharian barber. I love this guy, great guy. Every week, bring me another box of your books, 40 books. Clients come, he gives them. He said, Rabbi, I have a, big a lot of big lefties here. Head of university, all kinds of Jews, gays that live together. I give them the book. You know what they do? Immediately they Google. And they hear some of your videos. They're about to faint while I'm giving them a haircut. Oh, this guy drives me nuts. I say, so why do you need to fight with your customers? I have to tell them the truth. <laughs> so he told me something interesting on my way out. I got him the best feeling on earth, the best, for him and his brother. I was shocked when he saw it, it looks like marble. I don't find feeling like this anywhere. So as he was very happy, I said to him, let me run, I don't want to get a ticket. And I have to, you know, he said to me, ah, I don't have to worry about these things anymore. So uh, the police does not pull anyone out over anymore. So well, what do you mean? So now there's a new law. Every time they pull someone over and they have to give him a ticket, they have to write a whole report. It will take them more than half an hour now. They have to write your information, your address, next page, why did you pull him over, what was the reason, what made you suspicious, what was the condition of the car, how did you decide to check that person? Was he black? Was he uh, Caucasian? Was he Jewish? Did he wear a Star David? Maybe that's why you pulled him over. He had a yamaka. Ah, we see a pattern here. You already arrested three Jews this week. They want to know everything, these liberals. So what did they do? They tried to be clever. They made this place more sodomized. Now the police won't pull over anyone. The criminals started the party in the next level now. They don't pull anyone over, they told me. It's too much paperwork. I came here to be a clerk. I wanted to enjoy the job. Wee, wee, hey, pull over. Stop. Step out of the car. They feel like they're in a movie. These policemen, they watch too many movies. Now he's thinking about the paperwork in the office all day for three hours in the end of the day for every case today that he pulled over, seatbelt, speeding, red light. Let them go, what do I need this? I didn't see. Hey, you didn't see he's going on red light now? 
I was thinking about my ex-wife. <laughs> I don't know, I'm having difficult time. Maybe you hire me a psychologist from the police force. I'm depressed. <laughs> I didn't see. Every decision the liberals ever made is against the truth and against God. And it's not an exaggeration. Nothing good ever came out of those low lives. Never. All these lefty liberals brought horrible destruction to the world, to the media, to the court system, to the police force, to every place they put their hand off, it become contaminated. Rabbi Avigdor Miller Zatzal, 40, 50 years ago, hated them so much in his answers. You read how he described them exactly, but today they are much worse than his days. He is talking about the lefties of 40 years ago. They were nothing compared to what they became now. Now they brainwash little kids to change their sex. That's how low they became in schools. You feel you a boy? Don't worry, we'll give you hormones. But my father will kill me. We are here to protect you. Call 911 if your father say anything. Don't worry. You need to be a boy. My father said I'm a girl. No, no. You're right, you're a boy. You feel a boy, you're a boy. I feel I'm God. You're God. That's what they became, these liberals. Imagine Joe Biden, a president, four more years. He doesn't even know where he's walking, where he's going. I'm a, well, well. Four more years. Yeah. Who would vote for him? Why? Why? The liberals don't see that he doesn't know where he is, he doesn't understand what's going on. They don't see that. He's a sick man. They hate Trump. But I have a feeling that if the Democrats will put a dog against Trump, what would you do for the future of America? How, how, how? They hate Trump, so they vote for the dog. Anyway, the advisor tell him what to do. They will hold his hand, the dog, stand, sign here. That's it. They don't care. Obama. Obama. Obama pulls everything behind. Obama. I'm surprised that Obama didn't push his wife into the... But he is. He is pushing his wife. He's pushing her? She's running. She's going to run? Ay vey. Meapach el apachat. She won't run. He. She will not run. She's Michael. She will not run. He will not run. It's Machloket. Wow, you guys watching too much conspiracy theories on YouTube. <laughs> she won't, they won't, she won't run because she'll have to show where, she, where did they get all this money from. And she doesn't want to give it up. Ah, okay. So I don't listen to the news that to know those details. So, you know, let's move on. After we, we understand now, we understand now why the Mamzer kid is coming to the world the way he is. The Isurim tells you 
what you should check. You have money issues? People steal from you? People hurt your business? Check what you're wrong with. Maybe you're torturing your wife. She cries every day because of you. That hurts the parnasah. Maybe you speak Lashon about your competition, you destroyed families. Maybe you cheat your customers. Maybe you charge interest. Maybe you mechalel Shabbat. There's a list of things that hurt the parnasah. Check. One, two, three, check. This one. Good, 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 good. Oh, you find something that you're wrong with. Fix it. Let's move on. So, what does it mean, Midvar Sheker Tirchak? The Torah doesn't say don't lie. In different places the Torah says don't lie. But here it says, stay away from lying. There are many explanations what does it mean to stay away from lies. I'll give you an example. There are judges who are sitting in a bedding, Jewish court. And a rich man comes with a nice suit, and a poor man, almost an homeless, comes with stinky clothes, very, very ripped. And the, the judge looks at the rich real estate developer, and he looks at this poor guy, barely makes a living. And right away, in his subconscious, he has a lot of mercy and empathy to the poor guy. It's a very normal reaction. When he sees the shark, the greedy rich owners of buildings screaming that he wants to see this poor man on the street tomorrow morning with his children in the month of January when there's a snowstorm in New York. The judge immediately begins to hate the rich man. Right? So the Torah says it's not a fair trial. No justice will ever be reached here. Why? You bias. Immediately before, you're not objective. So what does the Torah say? You cannot let people go into the court that they dress differently. They have to dress the same. The same. Why? It affects the subconscious of the judges. If both of them wear suit, both of them wear suit. Both of them wear casual t-shirt, casual t-shirt. You cannot have right away one person look like a senator and the other one looks like a homeless from the park. It cannot be. So they have to be dressed the same. That's a, that's a halakha. The Torah says you're not allowed to judge them when they one dress like rich and one dress like poor. Make sure they both dress the same. So technically I would have to assume maybe they had in a bed in all kinds of clothes. Oh wow. Who are you? I'm the tenant. You? I'm the landlord. Tenant, come here. Give him that blue suit. Ah, never looked so good in my life. Now he can go inside. Why? Because what's the point of having a case? The judge already made up his mind. He sees the poor guy. This shark is so greedy. He wants to put him on the street. I won't let it happen. The Torah is saying, not allowed. You have to stick to the evidence. As bad as it is, as much as it breaks your heart, the rich man is right. He's entitled for the payment. He lived in his apartment for a month. So you have to tell him to pay the debt. Ah, he doesn't have. Go and collect. Collect charity. Go to the Gmach, go here, go there. Maybe the judge himself, after the trial, will give him a donation. It's no problem. But when you rule, you have to rule the truth.
You cannot have mercy on the poor. You know, today when you go to court in Manhattan, if you're a tenant that you don't pay, if you're a tenant that you don't pay, the judge will ask the landlord to pay your compensation to convince you to move out. Such a scam. He, he lives one year, doesn't pay rent, he owes me already $30,000. Plus he made damages to the apartments, probably it's another 10000 Now you tell me to give him $10,000, I should find himself another apartment. Yeah, so another I'm going to donate to him $50,000. For what reason? Because it's democratic, stupid, vicious, wicked system. That have no God-fearing in it. No fear from God, nothing. Steal from the rich and give to the poor. Why? Because we follow the heart, not the brain. Because God is not a factor in our life. We don't care what he says. We don't care. That's it. We don't want too many people living on the streets, so we will force the landlord to let them live for free. Wonderful system. We cannot do anything against the drug addicts, so we legalize grass. Why? What do you want? To fill up the jails with millions of grass smokers? Legal. What are we going to do? Sue thousands of people in COVID? Nobody pays the rent? Companies, businesses, even people that had money stop to pay. Why should I pay? No one else pays. We have to let them stay. One person from Venezuela, two brothers came to my house for Shabbat. They told me what happening in... Remember Chavez Imachimo? That hated Jews and Israel so much and Hashem gave him cancer in his head and took him to hell. He used to be very much pro-Iran, pro-Hamas. Baruch Sheptaranu. So what happened? This, uh, in the time of Chavez, he only cared about the poor. He hated the rich. So he made gas free. Come to the gas station, he put... Free gas. People didn't pay a quarter for a tank. That's how. And the rent, if you want to buy an apartment, is hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you won't be able to collect one penny rent. It's against the law. Chavez decided all people live for free. Don't make me, don't give me a headache. I don't want a million people living on the streets. Everyone who has an apartment is not allowed to collect rent. So I asked the guys, if that's the case, the real estate has zero value. It doesn't have any value. So no, but if you want to live yourself, you will still have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in Caracas to live, especially in a Jewish area. If you want to rent it out, don't buy it, because you're not going to get a penny. But you need to live. Can you believe such thing? A person has uh, 20 buildings in Manhattan, each building has hundreds of apartments, he had 20,000 tenants. The Democrats decide there is a financial crisis. Like today, they just found out the inflation is actually very high. Prices went up like crazy. What are they going to do? They raise the interest rate to 11%? They don't know what to do. It's a curse. No matter what they do, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Chairman... The inflation is rising and rising. Oh, what to do now? Today was a big setback in the stock market. 
We don't know what to do. How you stop the inflation? The answer, you can't stop the inflation. Who knows why? Because it's written in the Torah that before Mashiach come, there will be high inflation. That's it. There's nothing you can do about it. Ayoker Yamir. The Gemara say in Masechet Sota. Ayoker Yamir. Two words in the Gemara. Before Mashiach will come, prices will go up like crazy. I look at the prices of the tefillin and the mezuzot. Before COVID, it was exactly half of what it is now. Exactly half. Same thing cars. Cars were half. I remember when one car I was paying $405 a month lease, Toyota. Now it's over $800, same car. If you want to start a lease now, $800. Same car. What happened? What, the manufacturing became double? Inflation. Inflation. Insurance went up. Everything goes up. I wonder how the middle class is still surviving. I mean, the poor are already dead. But the middle class, how are they surviving now becoming so poor? It's rather worse, though. Because the poor here gets everything pretty much from New York. That's the worst. Because if you're middle class, you cannot collect benefits. Imagine, if you make 50000 a year, you don't have enough to feed your children, you cannot collect benefits. They want you to have mamash zero income almost to give you. So if someone goes and works and tries to make a living and it's missing 20% to make it, die. Someone who sits at home and does nothing, play an ocean park with chess, with his nice mustache, Whatever you want is on the house. Section 8, food stamps, this, that, Medicaid. Wonderful world. Tov, let's move on. So we understand now that in court, psychologically, judges are influenced in their subconscious, and that's why the Torah is very, very careful about it. If a judge knows the person, he's not allowed to judge him. It'll be a big deal, I know him. He's in, he lives in a neighborhood. He comes to Daven Mincha, where I am. What do I have with him? Barely spoke to him two words. Not allowed to judge him. Why? Automatically, you know him. In Agua Badavar, that's it. You're going to have to see him after the verdict. You rather take his side that you don't have to have the embarrassment seeing him tomorrow in a synagogue after he rule against him. And even if you swear that you try to be honest, we believe you that you're not a crook judge. But your subconscious will already affect you without you realizing. Unbelievable how it works. A Jew that murdered accidentally another Jew. Accidentally. An accident happened. He has to go to a shelter city. And he has to sit over there until when? Until the Kohen Gadol, the highest priest, Kohen, the biggest Kohen, will die. So technically, if the accident happened to you when you killed someone when the Kohen Gadol was 40, you are going to be sitting there 30, 40 years until he's going to die. 
If you got lucky and he's 75, 80, he doesn't have that much time left. He's 80 already. In another year or two, he will say goodbye. So your verdict would be two years only. Where is the justice here? Where is the justice? Someone that killed someone when the Kohen Gadol was 60, he would live 25 years in a shelter city. Someone that the accident happened to him when the Kohen Gadol was already 85, it would be two months in a shelter city. Is it fair? Do you see justice here or no? Was it random like this? The answer, of course it's fair. When Hashem decides to give you a trap, to put a trap in front of you, an accident, that's going to rock your life from now on, you're about to kill someone, that person in Rosh Hashanah, Hashem wrote that he has to die, with or without you. We'll start with that. He must die. When? And that date. You, I'm very unhappy from the way you behave. Very unhappy. So what will I do? We'll punish you. We'll use you as an executor of this wicked person. Two wicked people, I will make a match between them. Wicked A will kill accidentally wicked B with his car, with his horse. Electrocute him by mistake. But when I do it, I will only do it based on the age of the Kohen Gadol. For instance, if I know the Kohen Gadol is 40 and I want him to live until 80, if the murderer, the not intentional murderer, deserves to sit 40 years in Shelter City, I will do it when he's 40, the Kohen Gadol. If he doesn't, I'll wait. The punishment will come 10 years later. Maybe the Kohen Gadol will get a heart attack in two years and he will die. Only Hashem knows the calculation. Everything is calculated exactly. But sometimes Hashem wants to punish him today. But too bad, the Kohen Gadol is young. I, I didn't want him to be 40 years in, in prison. I have no choice. I cannot wait 10 years. He needs to be punished right away. Why? I want him in a shelter city. Why? Because I want him to learn Torah with the Leviim. What shelter city? It's the, the cities of the Leviim. The Leviim learn Torah. It's a place of Torah. What shelter city? You walk around and everyone there is a learner of Torah. That's an educational punishment. I'm taking you out of Tel Aviv and putting you in Yerushalayim, in a very, very religious neighborhood. Is it good for you, Obed? For him it's jail. He looks at this jail. I tell you what, here in New York, there is a jail in upstate New York. Camp. Camp. Odisville. You heard about it or no? Ten years ago, I knew a guy that uh, the government caught him doing something that according to them is a violation in the stock market. According to the Torah, it's no violation, no nothing. But according to their stupid laws, he wasn't supposed to buy certain stock. It's crazy how something like this, they give a bigger punishment than rape. Doesn't make sense. If they wanted to send him to jail to give him millions of dollars penalty, so, they, so his lawyer fought, because this guy was uh, my Baal Tshuva, was religious. 
lawyers thought that they send him to that camp, not to regular jail. And then he was succeeded. So I asked him on the phone, what do you do all day? There's yeshiva here. There's a thousand people, almost all of them religious. This guy, insurance fraud, this guy, this, this one, a doctor who wrote prescription to drug addict, this one, uh, Medicaid fraud, this one, the, this one, that, this one, stock market, this one, insurance. So what happened? Do you know what happened? A lot of people went there not religious or semi-religious. And the time they were there, three, four, five years, they came out fanatic. They learned Torah all day. Same thing in Israel. And I got to speak in a jail, Kele Ramle. There's a whole section that is a yeshiva. In the jail you have a yeshiva. Hundreds of books, gmarot, tables. The prisoners sit and learn Torah with filin on their head. All day. Five years, ten years, thirteen years. What is the break? Watching my lecture on a plasma screen. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do in jail. Other sections, they have to clean. They have chores that they have to do. Here, learning Torah all day. When they go into the jail, they beg, put me in a Agaf Torani. Why? There's nothing else to do. Just sit and learn Torah. They don't tell you, come clean here, go work there, go check the garbage, clean the bathroom, nothing. Be a cook for a week. You're there like yeshiva. You have to see the tzaddikim. One of the times I went there, I spoke to over a hundred people there, prisoners. Some of them, 25 years, 37 years. Heavy gangster. But now they're religious. So I speak to them, I try to lift their spirit. So I told them, you don't know how lucky you are. Yes, you're thinking we are criminals, they locked us here in a cage, society looked down at you. But in reality, this is the Alma de Shikra. In reality, you are luckier than everyone that is free out there. Because a lot of people want to learn Torah every day. They want. The Yetzirah doesn't let. Friends, this, birthday party, games, super stupid ball, this, that, your wife, take me here, take me there, let's go for Pesach. Once you're already in yeshiva, telephone, walk, come here, come there, your son. You have no time to learn. Drives you crazy. You're in the middle of emergency, I have to go. So here, nowhere to go. Don't have parents, <laughs> don't have anything to do. You get up in the morning, you pray your shachrit, you're here, you're here. What are you going to do? You sit and learn. You will miss these days. When you will be released, you will see the difference on the Torah you learn here and the Torah you learn there. And in the end, what will get you to Olam Abba is the years that you are here. Without the jail, you would not have Olam Abba. Tov. I went. I came back there a few months later, three, four months later. The rabbi of the jail is waiting for me outside in the parking. You, know, you have to give all your stuff, your ID, they give you a ticket, go through the door. It's a whole process. On the way, the rabbi of the, of the jail tells me, after the last time you were here, you're not going to believe what happened. So what? He said three prisoners pull back 
their appeal. They wanted to be released on a good behavior. They cut a third of the sentence. So if you have 21 years, they can cut seven years of your sentence if you have good behavior in the psychologist and the supervisor right that you're a good prisoner, a model prisoner. They'll let you go out. It's 33% discount. Three of them say we don't want to be released. Keep us here. We learn through all day. It's good. I say to myself, well, this rabbi thing I was born yesterday is telling me, what is he telling me these stories? I say, I'm going to test it now. I walk into the jail, they're all waiting, ah, they sing, you know. They're happy that someone come to give a speech. <laughs> so yeah, I started to talk, I say, you know, I heard something unbelievable. I, I wonder, how can it be? I heard that three of you decided not to be released on a good behavior. Is it true or it's a shtuyot? So yeah, this guy, this guy and this guy. So what? This guy gave up seven years of freedom. He wants to stay here to learn. Do you believe it? He's sentenced for 21 years. Why? I ask outside, what did he do? 21 years, this could be murder, it could be rape, who knows? Then no, heavy cyber frauds. Some genius hacker went into banks, did whatever he did. So what happened with him? What happened to him? He decided to stay in the jail and learn Torah. He doesn't want to come out. Why? He got the point from the last time. There was over a hundred there. Three got the point. Three out of a hundred. We don't want to be released. Keep us here to learn Torah. But that's only in a jail in Israel you can do such thing. And here in Otisville. I don't know if it's still the same idea, Otisville. I don't know. The same? You go to jail that is actually yeshiva. Without the interference of the Yetzirah. And it's a free camp. You walk around. But if you don't come back in time, you can go out, but then you punish. Well, you need some discipline, you know. Tov, Rabotai, before we finish, so a Jew accidentally murdered someone, he has to go to a shelter city. Why? Why his sentence is subject to the death of the Kohen Gadol? The Gemara said, because the Kohen Gadol had to pray every day that things like this will not happen in his days. If it happened under your supervision, you the chief Kohen or the chief rabbi, you have some guilt in it. It's a little bit problematic, no? I can be a supervisor for the whole world. So now all the prisoners in the shelter city, they're all saying Teilim. After they finish Shachrit, we will say ten capitals of Teilim. For what? Not for the kidnappers in Gaza, for the kidnapped. Not for the sick people, not for the soldiers. For what they say Teilim? That the Kohen Gadol should drop dead. 
It's a very big holy rabbi. מי שברך אבותינו אברהם, יצחק ויעקב, הוא ייקח את הכהן גדול, express to heaven. Today, In return for that, the wives or the mothers of the Kohen Gadol, they get very nervous. So many people praying for the death of my son. So they make food. Hi, prisoners, how was your day? Come, look, I got for you sushi. You, I know you like this uh, babka cake. For you, I made tiramisu. Don't worry, for you, I made a great kebab. Every day she shows up. Like a canteen, <laughs> For you I made falafel. So, since they get a nice treatment, it's a deal. I will treat you and you don't pray that my son will die. Look how people understood the power of prayers. Technically, if one person pray that another person will die, how should it even help? Hashem decides who is guilty and who is supposed to die, that's it. million people would pray that he should die. It won't help. You know how many people pray every day that I should die? I'll show you the messages over the years. You know how many lefties read Tehillim every day that I should drop dead or get cancer in my head? You should see the messages in the last 20 years. You know how many gays want to see me dead? You know how many lefties include the former trader, prime minister, Imach Shimo of Israel? It would be making a party if you find out I died. Hashem goes by all these wicked people, they want him dead, they want him dead. Who cares about what they want? Whoever deserves to live, live, and whoever deserves to die, die. One time a Hasid came to my house in Monsi. He is from Brooklyn. He sells life insurance. Hasid. He walks in, I have a great proposal for you. I have an old man, he's 72 years old, uh, 60 something years old, but he's really 10 years older. But they made a mistake when he came from Siberia to United States. Back then there was no computers. It was all written documents. The clerk made a mistake. Instead of uh, 1945, instead of 1945, he wrote 1955. So he's, he looks younger than, he's older 10 years by his age, but in a document, it's written that he's only in the late 60s, but he's really in the late 70s, meaning he's, I'm not going to live that long, statistically. You can buy life insurance on him for a million dollar policy. I already sold it for 20 something people. Of course, they all retail him that these old men will die. <laughs> and once he dies, you get a million dollars. You are the beneficiary. It's a wonderful deal. The insurance, you have to pay 300 and change a month. Every month, $300. So let's think he's going to live even five years, right? He's almost 80. Let's say he's going to live five years. 300 times 12, 3,600. Times five years, 
Not even $20,000 will cost you. 30000 As soon as he dies, you get a call, come collect your million dollar check. Sounds too good to be true, no? I asked the Hasid, but it's fraud. It's against the Torah. Not allowed to steal. Not from Jews, not from Goim, not from companies. How can it be such a thing? You're a religious man, no? <laughs> you had to see his face. I wish I would take a picture of his face. Ma, fraud? Nobody ever said anything about it. Play dumb now. Nobody ever asked him, but how can you do such thing? The only reason the insurance company agreed to do it because they think he's almost, 80, he's almost uh, he's, he's less than 70. They think, oh, soon the insurance will expire, they will reach a certain age, you get nothing. They made some money. If they would know he's almost 80, they would agree. And they'll have to pay $3,000 a month every month if he's almost 80. That's a typical scam. <laughs> Did he stop that? Maybe yes, maybe not, who knows. But, you know, the Yetzirah works everywhere. It's strong Yetzirah. So now, the, the question now, now, now comes the question. Now comes the question. The Gemara says he should have had asked for mercy on his generation. Because he didn't ask Hashem to have mercy on a generation, now when he dies, they all be released. Tov. The Gemara, the Mishnah continue. What happened if now the Sanhedrin is checking a trial of a person, Ruven killed Shimon, but they didn't set the verdict that he has to go to Shalder City. Still, it wasn't ruled yet. And the Kohen Gadol just died. Tomorrow they will read the verdict that he has to go to the Shalder City. Hours before, the Kohen died. Now they say we nominate a new Kohen. A new Kohen. What will be now the verdict? Will it be in the Shalder City for one day? No, the new Kohen. But what a new Kohen has to do with the fact with the fa- he, he wasn't in a job. Should be Yamav. Should be Yamav. Should be Be-Yamav. The Gemara asks, what's the verdict now? There's a new Kohen, just got nominated. So, okay, when he dies, you go out. Why? He should have prayed that there should be mercy. So, how can I pray? I wasn't on a job. I wasn't the chief Kohen. You want to blame me for something before I got hired? Someone is hired to save the bank, to recover the bank from bankruptcy. So they want to hold him guilty for something happened five years when there was a different accountant to the bank. What do you want from me? I only started a week ago. It's your fault that it happened five years ago. Why? You should have prayed. You should have done something. But I wasn't on a job. Still, we hold you responsible. Make sense? But that's the law. No. <laughs> Good question, no? Chazal, ah. answer this question. A very, very strange answer. 
היה לו לבקש רחמים שיגמר דינו לזכות ולא ביקש. That this person will come out not guilty. The first Kohen should have prayed in his days that there should be mercy on the land. No accident, no, uh, uh, ex, you know, no sudden death. He didn't ask for mercy. It's your fault. People died under your territories. You're not holy enough. You could have prevented it if you pray. He asked for mercy. You're Kohen Gadol, you know, you come inside Kodesh HaKodeshim. You have on Yom Kippur a moment that you can ask for mercy on the land. You didn't do it. You should die for them to go out. Too bad that they pray for you to die. So, okay, on the first Kohen, we understand why we're holding him guilty. I mean, responsible. The new Kohen, we have a different claim against him. What do I have to do with him? I wasn't a Kohen at the time when he was convicted. I should have not asked for mercy. It wasn't my job to ask. No, no. We don't expect you to ask for mercy. We know you were not on the job. But you were supposed to pray in the day of his trial that he will come out innocent. Why? Let's see who's clever. Why? You hear the question or no? He's a regular person. He's not a coin. He's not a He's not on a job. everybody has to pray. Technically, according to this, every coin at the land should have prayed for every trial that the defendant will come out not guilty. The potential that he'll be. <laughs> From here we learn something very interesting. You're not supposed to pray only for what now, or what was done, or what will happen tomorrow. You have to pray about potential things that may happen. You're now a, a vice president. Very high chance that in two, three years you will become this Kamala. <laughs> if Sleepy Joe will be elected, it's just a matter of days until she will become the president. When she prays now, if she prays, together with her liberal Jew husband, if they pray, if she goes with him to the reform dumpster on Yom Kippur, if she's praying, what is she supposed to pray for? When I will be the president, help me to do this and help me not to do that. If she will be elected in two, three years when, when Sleepy Joe will retire, she's going to come and say, why are you punishing me, God, for something that happened in his control? It wasn't my call. The answer is, why didn't you pray back then knowing there is a 50% chance that you will be a president in two, three years? That's what it sounds like. Anyway, don't blame it on Trump. I blame it on Trump, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> they solve all the issues with Trump. So, Abutai, the Mefarshim are puzzled. What kind of a claim is this? He should have prayed that this defendant will come out not guilty? What about the truth? He's a murderer! 
there, he killed someone. He may be guilty. Every criminal who goes to court now, I have to pray that he will come out not guilty? That when I become a Kohen, he won't pray for my death? I should pray for the justice to come out. Regardless of my personal interest. According to this Gemara, the truth is not so important. What's good for me, it's more important. It's a very big thing. You hear what's going on here or no? Pray that everybody should he says what are we talking here about see what the genius is he's humbled like this sitting quietly he's a big chacham look how he came up with the answer you're talking here about Sanhedrin that has 23 judges sitting now. 13 of them say he's guilty. 10 of them say not guilty. What do you have to do? You send him to a shelter city. He was convicted by the majority. The Kohen Gadol should have prayed that all of them, all of them, will rule the truth which is what? that is guilty why only 13 ruled guilty? 10 made a mistake why didn't you pray that the judges won't make mistake? why? if all 23 will say guilty he goes out free he doesn't get a punishment we have to fear that maybe it's a conspiracy of the judges. Conspiracy. Cannot be that all 23 found him guilty. You should have prayed that every trial all judges will see the guilt and will rule that he's guilty. So he doesn't come out guilty. Then he doesn't come out guilty. And then what? Hashem will kill him. Or we'll give him a different punishment. He won't get away with the punishment. If he's guilty, he's guilty. All 23 found you guilty. The Sanhedrin cannot execute you or they cannot send you to a shelter city. However, Hashem is going to take care of you. We pass the judgment to Hashem. But me, the judge, is dismissed from responsibility. They don't have to pray now for my death. Look how clever. Now, let me, I asked that yesterday in Queens. Most of you were not there. Uh, what happens if you have 22 judges say, Judge Ruven, guilty. Judge Shimon, guilty. Judge Yosef, guilty. All 22 say guilty. Judge 23 knows that he's guilty. That was his plan to say guilty. But now after 22 say guilty, he has a dilemma. So if I will say guilty, they will release the murderer back to the street. And we all know he's guilty. How can we put him back on the street? I will have to say not guilty. They'll ask me, you don't feel he's guilty? No, there's some doubt here. I don't believe that witness. So what are you saying? He's not guilty. Why? If 22 say guilty and I'm the last judge, say not guilty, you execute him. 
or in this case then it's not intentional killing, you send him to a shelter city. If I will say guilty also, he will go back on the, on the street, like nothing happened. How can I let it happen? So I will lie in the court as a judge to send someone what he deserves to get. Is this justice or is this a scam? Scam. I have a friend as a judge in San Diego. It's a big judge, Jewish judge. Baruch Hashem, through my lectures, he became over the years more and more religious. It's a big shot, real big judge for long, long, for decades. One time we went out to Melave Malka. He took me, and I was in San Diego, to the President Hotels. President Hotels. Do you know in San Diego there is an island? When we went there, there was a toll booth, but it was free. Back then there was no easy pass and all that. I asked him what happened to the toll. They dismissed it. Once they paid for the road, no more tolls. I said, wow, only here in, in New York. It's only go up every day. They already paid for 15 bridges by now. But the grid is only becoming bigger and bigger. Soon to go from Monsi to Brooklyn will cost $100 just for tolls. That's what it costs right now to get here. Gas and tolls, brakes, tires, include all the expenses to go from Monsi to Queens, $100. <laughs> That's what it is. The tolls alone is like almost 40 something. So we went there, and he was telling me sometimes I have cases that the law permits me maximum four years in prison. But through the trial, I discovered that this defendant is a much bigger monster than what the prosecution claimed. Prosecution now is prosecuting him for one crime. But while the testimonies and while the wife, he, he, he almost killed his wife, broke her bones, so the law is allowing me to send him for four years in prison, but I already see that someone like this has to sit for the rest of his life in prison. It's a monster. But my hands are tight. So he asks me, what if I can find more things through the trials to actually make it more serious, even though it wasn't the intentional of the prosecutor? There are other evidence here. Why don't you submit this? That can be another three years. That could be another two years. But that's not what he's being tried for. Ah. So the question is, do we have to be technical robots? Or we have to seek for justice? If you are a judge, and then bring a Nazi racist that murder people, and they're prosecuting him now for inside trading in a stock market. Four years in prison, that's it. And some fine. Through the trial, you just found out that he murdered someone. One broker testified how he pushed someone from the terrace and he buried the body and all of that. 
What should you say now? Ah, well, that's not my business. I have to judge the, the, the stock problem. Or immediately have to notify the authorities that we're having a murderer here. You hear the question here or no? This judge supposed to put this murderer out of commission, execute him and finish with him? But the only way to do it is to lie in a trial to say not guilty? I actually say that you're not guilty in order for you to die. If I would say that you are guilty, you go free. How can I let it happen? Can you just say undecided and have somebody else come onto the case? He could say that he's undecided and have somebody else come onto the case. And he can step out. No, if it was a judge in the trial, he has to rule. He has to rule. The Torah says you're not allowed to lie in order for justice in this case to be reached. But it's a little bit tricky. Why? Why? What's the alternative? What's the alternative to put back a monster murderer back on the street that should murder more people? This dilemma you have by detectives, by FBI agents, by CIA agents, by police officers. Sometimes they have to break the law in order for justice to be made. Let's say some liberal, stupid judge turn off the evidence, which is very clear that this person is a murderer. But now the judge doesn't want to accept it because of some technical paperwork. Stupid thing. The policeman has to line out to fabricate some evidence that wasn't there in order for him to go to life in prison. Why is doing it? Because he knows that if he's going to go back on the street, five more people will die in the next year or two, for sure. It's my obligation as a human being to prevent innocent people from dying. Or he's going to rob who knows how many people with his scams. The question is that the policeman did a good deed or broke the laws. I'm not talking the law of the land. The law of the land for sure he broke. I'm asking in the eyes of God, did he break the law or he did what he should have done? <laughs> you have to, to judge what, what you see in front of you. If you know without any doubt that this person is a serial killer, and some stupid judge, you know those judges, they're out of the mind. So, so, you see, he killed 30 people, tortured them, he's sadistic. But the paperwork, you were not supposed to submit it until the day after. Who cares? That's the law. Ah, so now you're going to put him back, that will kill another 20. Maybe you are a criminal if you let something like this happen. The judge is a criminal. He doesn't care. 20 more people would die for some stupid paperwork. Maybe not the judge. Maybe not the judge is a criminal. The one who wrote the law is a criminal. Stupid criminal. And for something like this, he allowed to send a... You have to have common sense, you know. You have to find the balance between protecting people's rights to let monsters back on the street knowing they're going to kill. Come on, it's a ticking bomb. You, gotta find it. you have to know how to do it. The law has to address this issue. 
Yeah. If you in the beginning care to do the justice, in the end you're going to fabricate evidence against innocent people. I think it's a, it's a weak claim what you say, and I'll tell you why. Because if someone has a conscience and is a decent uh, uh, policeman or detective, his, his intention is to do good in the world. That's why he joined the job. They're not making fortune of money. There's life risk every day. They want to do. They want to help the world to be a better place. When they see a monster Nazi is about to go back terrorist back to the street, knowing he's going to kill a lot of innocent people, their conscience tell them, "I cannot allow something like this. People will die because some stupid liberal judge would let him go back on the street to this terrorist." My obligation in the eyes of God is to prevent innocent people from dying. Now you may come and say, but you swore to the police force that you will never do such things. So who is more important? What some American uh, legislator decided? Or what's right according to God's rules? That's a very big question. Same question as a doctor, by the way. Some doctors would think it's a wonderful thing to let sick people die. There's no cure for their problem. The brain is not working, then coma, whatever. I want to save him the torture. Suffering every day. Let's choke him five minutes. Better for the family, poor family, they have to come every day, change his diapers, this, that. Enough, enough is enough. Kill him and do him a favor. Ah, but it's against God. He may have to come back in reincarnation again. The doctor has good intention. But he went against the Torah. Over here, the detective has a good intention to follow the law of the United States. But the law was made by stupid people. The stupid people rather release a terrorist or a Nazi back to the street to kill more people for some technical issue. Which is not even relevant. It didn't affect the case. I don't want to answer this question. I don't want to tell people to break the laws or anything like that. Definitely not. But it's something to think about. The question is, what really Hashem expects you? Because many Nazi soldiers say after the war, we were only following orders. I don't have anything against Jews. I had Jewish friends before the war. Eichmann gave me an order. It was my job. I had to feed my family. He gave me an order to press the gas button. Every time I press the gas button, 10,000 Jews died that day. Do you think I was happy about what I'm doing? No, I had nightmares. Is he guilty or not? We follow the rules. But the rules were evil. Stupid, evil, vicious. Can he come and say, oh, I only follow the rules? Yitzhak Rabin said it. You know Yitzhak Rabin? He used to be the Prime Minister of Israel. Ben-Gurion gave him an order to shoot at Altalena. It was a boat that brought weapon to the Israeli people where they were fighting the British and the Arabs. 1947, 1946. So Ben-Gurion didn't want... He was in a ceasefire with the British. Supposedly, we are okay now. You respect us, we respect you, okay. So if we're going to br- let the weapon comes in, the British will get very angry. Why are you bringing a weapon? You're planning a war against the Arabs? What are you trying to take over? 
you know, like they do today. We allow you to retaliate, you have the right to defend yourself, but you have to give them gas and food and this. To whom? To those who are murdering us. That they should continue to shoot at us. We give them the gas, that they should shoot rockets at us. Without the gas or without the food, they wouldn't be able to fight. It's a very stupid situation. So Rabin got an order, shoot at them. We don't want to get the British angry. He said, but there are 16 Jews there on the boat. Doesn't matter, Ben-Gurion say. I'm giving you an order. And Rabin shot them and killed them. Later, he became an ambassador of Israel in uh, Washington. He wrote a book after. In the book he writes, people are asking me when I was an ambassador in Washington if I regret that day that I shot at Jewish people who bought weapons to the Israeli citizen in Israel to help them for self-defense against these Nazi Arabs. What was that weapon for? The Arabs are killing us every week. We should have some self-defense. But we made a deal with the British that we won't allow weapon to come in. So because he wanted to find favors in the eyes of these anti-Semite Brits, he gave an order to Rabin to shoot innocent Jews who come to save the Jews to survive in Israel. Righteous people were murdered. So people asked him, do you regret that? He said, no. I was the general in the field. I got an order and I fulfilled the order. What did Hashem do to him? Send him a guy, murdered him, and until today for more than 30 years, every time they beg him, say you sorry, we'll give you benefits. No, I'm not sorry I killed him. I don't regret it. I regret I didn't kill Shimon Peres as well. Why did he kill him? for signing the Oslo Agreement. By the way, Oslo Agreement is the cause of October 7. All the 1,500 Jews that were da- died, and all the rapes, and all the murders, and all the rockets that falls in Israel, and all the tens of billions of dollars that we lost in the last four months, is all because of that signature on the stupid Oslo Agreement who destroyed Israel. So Yigal uh, Amir was 100% right about his claim. 100% right. He saw what's going to happen from this agreement. By an Allah to murder, they put him in prison. And they made him the most hated person in Israel. At least all lefties hating him very much. They hear his name, like they heard Hitler. They go crazy. So Hashem did the same thing, measure for measure. You don't regret killing innocent Jews. Your murderer will never regret killing you. It's all in life like this. Midak and neged midak. So, these questions, by the way, are rising every day by all kinds of people who walk on the force, soldiers. Many, many things. I'll give you an example. Let's say an Israeli soldier will enter a tunnel now and see Ichye Sanuari Machshimo, the lead Nazi, raising his hand like this. We've been already in that stupid movie that we took him in jail and took care of him and he had brain cancer and we cured him and we helped him and, and then we had to release him in a Shalit deal. 
and look what he has done for us. Again, we're going to bring him to prison, or you have to blow up his head. If he will blow up his head, he will sit in prison 20 years. Mitzvah from the Torah, the law of Israel, if you shoot a prisoner, that doesn't matter what kind of a monster he is, he raises his hands up and you shot him, you became a criminal. Today everybody is filmed, everything is filmed today. People film, you don't know who filmed. It's the question now. Imagine a commando soldier raising one-on-one in a tunnel. And this monster smile and raise his hand like this. An American soldier would let him go to prison now? I doubted it very much. An Arab? (laughs) Let's not even respond to that. Now you have an Israeli. If he's a lefty, like Bernie and his friends... Of course, he would like to bring him to prison and give him air condition and plasma and some steaks and hummus and zatar, like they've been doing the years that he was in prison. Phone, his wife visiting him, picnic, enjoy the jail. He's the leader, he's the boss there, everyone is shaking from him, even the Israeli guards, everyone is shaking from him. Because he threatened you, if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm going to find people to go and slaughter your family. They do whatever they want in jail. They even give them Israeli girls to rape them inside the jails, girls that works in the jail. The chief of the jail push Israeli girls to a room, lock the room, and let the terrorists come in, do what he does. Don't dare to talk. It was all over the news. Now you want to get this monster back into jail? You normal? Why we have this dilemma? Because we don't have a death penalty. Ben Gvir want to make a death penalty. The lefty liberals go crazy. Why are you so crazy? Now some of them begin to open up their eyes. We are supporting death penalty to terrorists. Why? Because almost all the people who got killed on October 7 were extreme lefties. Extreme lefties. The majority of the people, besides the people in the party, which was about 250 to 300 people. Some were righties, some were lefties. But in the kibbutzim, everyone was a lefty. Cannot be in a kibbutz there if you're not a lefty. So maybe eight, eight, nine hundred lefties were murdered that day. Some of them were big shots in key positions. So they are going crazy. How our friends, the Arab terrorists that we work for them so bad to help them, came to murder us instead of the religious Jews. If they would come to murder Hasidim, we would cheer for them. We would not care. We hate them just as much. Well, why you came to kill us? Now we will vote that penalty. See the hypocrisy or no? When they kill Jewish settlers, Datim Leumim, they go on and lose these lefties and say they deserve it. They're not supposed to be in a settlement. That's how they say it. That's how they talk. Ah, but when they kill them in a kibbutzim, oh, we have to change the rules here. Ah, that's the hypocrisy.
One last thing for today and we finish. That's it, definitely the last thing. The word Mishpatim, Mishpatim, Mem, Shin, Pei, Tet, Yud, Mem, has in it all the principles of the Jewish law. How do you judge trials? Financial. Listen carefully. Mem, Muchzak. What does it mean, Muchzak? Reuven claimed that Shimon owns something, has something that belongs to him, and he doesn't have a proof. He doesn't have a proof. If you have a proof, witnesses, an agreement, you can get it out of him in court. You come to the court, the act belongs to me. You have any proof? No. Okay, well, there's nothing we can do. He remains in his position. Remain in his position. That's called Chazaka, Muchzak, Mem. Remember, Muchzak, Mem. Shin, Shuda de Daine. It's in Aramaic. What does it mean, Shuda de Daine? Sometimes the judges has to decide based on common sense and what looks logical at that moment. It doesn't have to be written clearly. For instance, a Jew wrote two wheels. One wheel in 2020, another wheel in 2021. In the, in the first one, he gave all his property to one person. In the second one, he gave it all to another person. Another, the same exact thing, one time to Ruven and the next to Shimon. We do not know which one of the two he meant. Should we give everything that he owns to Ruven? He died already. We can ask him. Should we give it to Ruven or should we give it to Shimon? We don't know. How are we going to make a decision? We have to make an investigation. Who was closer to him? Who helped him? Who took care of him? Who he spent his vacation with? Who he invited to his Shabbos table more often? We have to make a complete investigation. If we find that the first person he wrote everything to barely saw him once in a year in some family event, that's it. Nothing, no phone calls, no nothing. The second one, every day he's helping him in shul, taking the wheelchair to the car, putting it in the trunk for him, coming on Shabbos to eat with him. One he barely knows, and one is with him every day, he's hugging him, he's kissing him, he wrote him some dedication on a book. The other one cannot show any contact with him. We as the judges... It's clear to us that that will is legit, and the other one is either fake or maybe was a, a, a knife was put into his head force. by force. That's called Shuda the Daini. We will decide based on common sense. Third letter, pay. So we had Mem, Shin, now we have pay. Pshara, very good. Pshara, Pshara settlement. Today, most of financial delegations are settled in the Beidin. Usually, there's no verdict. They want people to reach a verdict. You forgive some, he forgives some, reach an agreement and goodbye. Why? No matter what we rule, there's always going to be complaints. Let's make a settlement. You lose a little bit, he lose a little bit. After a week, you forget about it. That's it. Like this, because the judges are afraid to make mistakes. One little detail you miss. 
you can give innocent money to someone who doesn't belong it. So, Pshara, what's Tet? That's the fourth letter. Ta'aninan leyatmi. You have orphans, no parents. We have to nominate an apotropus. What do you call it in English? Guardian. Guardian. Guardian, that's the word. He is a worker of the court. And he is like the attorney of those orphans, the young. They don't know what to say. So he, we, made him a repre, we made him a representative, the guardian. He has full fa- power of attorney to represent them. He can make them win. He can make them lose. He can make them invest money. He can make them keep it in a bank. It's 100% all his decisions. That's also what the court does. Okay, so that's Tet. After Tet comes Yud. Mishpatim, right? Yud. What's Yud? Yachloku. Split. Split. Two people claim, I found it first. Shnaim ochazin betalit. Zeh omer kula sheli, zeh omer kula sheli. Two people holding an object. One says it's all mine. The other one says it's all mine. What's the argument here? It's the first page in Gemara, in Masachet Baba Metziah. Everyone thinks that he grabbed it a second before the first. The second. Two people found a, a diamond ring. Oh, diamond ring. They ran. Ruven picked it up. Diamond ring is not a good example because it's something small. It's some, some big thing, a suitcase. You know, you know, so they both grabbed to it. I grabbed it first. No, I grabbed it first. No witnesses. His word against his word. What are we going to do? Split. Why? We don't know. They have to swear. People were very, very nervous to swear on a false testimony. It's no joke. You cannot say the name of Hashem in vain. That's in the Ten Commandments. Hashem will never forgive someone like that. Swear in the name of God on a lie. Oh, that's a very big crime. People, people that know that they are right, give up. Why you let go? I don't want to go swear. But you're right. Doesn't matter. I rather give up the money than to go and swear. Oh, I don't want to take that. Plus, it's not good for my reputation that I had to go to the court. Take it and goodbye. I trust Hashem. If it's mine, it has to come back to me. I go to court. The whole town is talking. Did you hear Yosef was in court? Oh, I wonder what he stole. The rumors begin. People didn't want to go. The Gemara said, Baba Metziah, chapter 3. The Gemara said, Nishba velo ratza l'shalem. He swear, and he didn't want to say, you know what? No, he paid and didn't want to swear. Shilem velo ratza l'shava. He doesn't want to swear. Here, take the money. Now the Gemara asks, what happened if they found the cow? I was a guardian. I'm keeping the cow. Someone stole it from my uh, farm. Even though I didn't, everything was locked. Someone broke the gate, stole the cow. I was guarding the cow for you. You went to Israel. You came back. Where is my cow? It was stolen. Yeah. Tov, is it probably your fault? No, it's not my fault. I guarded like I guard perfectly all my other cows. They stole my cows as well. If you swear that you did not have any negligence, you don't have to pay for the cow. But if there was negligence, you are guilty. So if you know there was no negligence, why should you pay? 
So you know what? You're my friend, I don't want to fight with you. Here is your thousand dollars for the cow. Go buy yourself a different cow. Now the question is, what happens if they find the cow? A month later, you already paid him for the cow, and they found the thief. And here is the cow. Now the thief has to pay two cows. One cow worth a thousand, the thief has to pay in court two thousand. So obviously the person that paid the thousand gets back his thousand. The question now, who gets the extra thousand that it's a penalty? The original owner or the one who paid for the cow? The original owner may say, yes, you pay me for the cow and I'm giving you back what you pay me, but where did I agree to give you the right to gain the penalty? If one day we will find the thief. Of course it wasn't in my mind. The other person would say, you think I'm stupid? I would pay you for your cow, and then if one day the cow will be found, I will also give you the profit? It's a good argument. But don't follow what's more logical. The Gemara also address what's legally, technically. What's technically. Can you give someone something that did not come to the world? Something that never came to the world. For instance, you have a cow. Maybe the cow is barren. So you say to someone, give me $500. And when my cow gives birth, the calf will be yours. How can you sell him the calf that was not even created yet? So that's not allowed. But what happened if you planted an orange tree? No. He already planted an orange tree, and he, every year he gives oranges. But now it's the summertime, no oranges. So you come and say to him, I'm going to sell you 100 pounds of oranges that you'll be able to collect on, uh, on April. In three months there will be oranges. We know the season. Something like this can be done or no? The answer is yes. Why? Because we know midi de atu, the Gemara say. We know they're going to come because for, for 20 years they come every April, you already have oranges there. So something that we know that for sure will come, you can sell. It's a whole beautiful, beautiful sugiya in the Gemara, in Perik Amafkid, in Baba Metzia. You can learn it. Today with the art school, they explain everything to English. Even ignorant people can understand what's going on. But remember, so we have yachloku. Sometimes you have to split the object because there's no weaknesses. We don't know what's right. And the last word is mem. The last letter. Mishpatim. Finish with mem. Maze mem munach. Munach. Ad sheyavo Eliyahu. Sometimes... We don't know what to do. So the Gemara say, keep it. Don't use it. It's not yours. It's an object you found. You didn't find the owner. But there's, there's a siman, there's a sign. I mean, you cannot use it. It belongs to a Jew. What do you do? You leave it in some safe place until Eliyahu and Avi will come. When Eliyahu will come, Elijah the prophet will come. That means Mashiach is following his footsteps. You ask him, Eliyahu, Aruch Abash, Tabach Shemo, Sof Sof, you show up. I have over here a nice coat. Fifteen years, I'm eating my heart. It's there in the closet, nice Kashmir coat. 
some rich Jew lost it. And I never used it. Why? The Gemara say, put it aside until Eliyahu will come. So before you tell me when the Mashiach would come, I have something more urgent. I want to be able to wear that Kashmir coat. Tell me, it belongs to me or belongs to him? That's an expression. Of course, it's not literally. It means forever. You don't know until one day the owner will show up. One day will show up. That's the abbreviation of Mishpatim. It includes all the terms of and the principles of the Jewish court. But there are also rules that are included in Mishpatim, not just principles. For instance, Mem is Migo. Migo. Mother Migo. Someone that had a better claim. You could have said I wasn't there. And there's nothing you can do. Now I was there, but I wasn't the one that took it. You could have said, what are you talking about? I wasn't there. That's it. The case is closed. What's better to admit that he was there and now to fight for his innocent? The fact that he admitted that he was there and he didn't steal or didn't eat without permission while he could have said, I wasn't there that day. I was in a different place. Nobody saw me there. That's called Migo. Migo means mitoch. Because he had a better claim and no one could say anything and he was generously bringing information that can convict him as not a stupid person. That leads us to believe that he's innocent. Why? It wasn't me. Goodbye. I'm not supposed to talk to you. Like they say in America, plead the fifth. I don't talk. Tell me, did you see President Dudu? I don't know. I can't talk. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Until they give up. Nothing they can do. That's called Migo. Next one is... Shin. That's what I'm saying. Accept my claim because I had a better claim to make and I didn't lie. Okay. Then you have uh, Shin, Shvua, swearing. Sometimes the bedding force you to swear. Usually, when they make you swear, if you admit to some guilt, he claim you owe him a thousand dollars. He said, No, I owe you three hundred. I don't owe you a thousand. Because you admit partially, that means there is some business between you. Come swear that you don't owe him the other 700 that he claimed. That's called Shvua. What's pay? Mishpa, Mishpa, pay. What's pay? Palginan Dibura. You split the speech and you split the loyalty. Meaning, you don't believe everything he say, but you believe some of what he say. You have to learn as a judge what parts of his speech is true and what part of the speech is a lie. Just because he lied partially doesn't mean everything else is also not true. Sometimes there is valuable information in that fake speech that can help to convict him in, in, the, in a claim. That's called palginan dibura, palginan neemanut. That's pay. What's tet? Sometimes the claim is strong immediately to rule. There's no need for trial. That's it. Two witnesses came. He gave him money. Is that. Back. We saw it. We signed. 
there's no, no point of opening a case. Case is closed. Tana, that's it. Yud is Yavomevaser. The Mashiach would come. How does it have to do? Meaning you have to leave it until Eliyahu will come. Ken. Twice. Yud, Yavomevaser. And Mem is what? What's Mem? No, Mem, Munach, we say. What's Mem? Mem. Mem is Ma'im Edim. What's with the witnesses? That's the most valuable thing in a Beddin. Two kosher witnesses is the strongest evidence. For good or for bad. Against you or for you. Nothing is greater than two kosher witnesses. I mean, today, it's a, it's a big question if you can rely on witnesses today. But back in time, people would never dare to stand in front of a Sefer Torah in a Beddin and make up a lie. It would be very hard to do such thing. That's the numeric value of the verse. It's numeric value. Same, same number. Numeric values when you take the letter and translate it to numbers. This whole verse, whatever it comes to, equal to another verse in the Torah, al pi shne edim, or al pi shlosha edim, yakum davar. Believe it. But the best part I kept for the end, for those of you who did not go home, now I'm going to give you the cherry on the, on the ice. You ready? There was one rabbi, holy one, his name was Samet. Summit. He was murdered in the Holocaust. They found in a book that he wrote, or diary, whatever, Chidushet Torah. And this is what he says. Shulchan Aruch have four categories. Ora Chaim, everyday's life, alachot of everyday. Yoredea, Even Aezer and Chosher Mishpat. Those four categories of Shulchan Aruch is concluding all the different different subjects and fields of the entire Torah when it comes to court. If you add the numeric value of Or Chaim, Yoredea, Even Aezer, and Chosher Mishpat, what do you get? 1,705. 1,705. How many chapters you have in Shulchan Aruch? Simanim. Each siman has halachot. How many simanim? 1,705. 1,705. Can you believe it? When Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote Shulchan Aruch 500 years ago, He divided it to four different categories. Women, Evanaezer, Choshen Mishpat, Dinei Mamonot, Yoredeam, the meat, Shechitot, all these things. And, uh, and Orachayim, every day alachot. How you dress, how you pray, Tfilin, Talit, Brachot. 
That's the most common in our ordinary people's life, or Chaim, most of what. Choshen Mishpat is for Bedin, for Dayanim. The one that writes my tefillin, Rav Buchbut, one of the biggest in the world in Choshen Mishpat. If you want to know who is a real Talmid Chacham, in all opinions, the way to judge it is by Choshen Mishpat. All other things, it's not so hard to learn. Or Chaim, it's easy. It's harder, but it's still possible. Even Ezer, hard, but possible. But Choshen Mishpat, the hardest laws of the Torah. He wrote eight books about it. It's a big Dayan. And a very holy man. Very holy. It's unbelievable. I'm, I'm shocked when I'm around him. He writes the tefillin. But he doesn't want to write. I'm begging him, please. I'm so busy in a bed din. He has also yeshiva. He has yeshiva of high school in Kiryat Gat. Plus he answers questions in Halacha on the kosher line, the hot line. It's basically 20 hours a day. When I went to pick up the tefillin from him, it was 1 a.m. I finished my lecture in Kiryat Gat. From there I went to Bet Shemesh. There was no time to meet him. And during the day, he's never available. So in a bed din or in a bet midrash, learning, or in giving shiurim in yeshiva. He told me, the day you go to Kiryat Gat is half an hour, 20 minutes from Bet Shemesh. But I said, I'm going to finish around 12. So, oh, it's no problem, you come. I said, but it's going to be one, even two, come. I barely sleeps. But that was very good that I came there at 1 a.m. Why? Because usually if I see him during the day, it's a three hours divre Torah. Can't go without, it's like an ocean. You know an ocean of Torah? Ah, this, that, 500 names. That rabbi said this, this one, how can it be? We saw here, we saw there. You, you become dizzy after five minutes. <laughs> to get feeling from someone like this, what's a billion dollar? Literally, billion dollar. There's no price for this. Doesn't know screens, doesn't have smartphone, doesn't know nothing. Person that lives 100% like Hashem wants a Talmid Chacham to be. So when uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote uh, the Shulchan Aruch, he divided it to four different sections. And after all the halachot, it came out to 1,705 simanim. Did he plan it? That it will be equal to the numeric value of the four names that he gave? By the way, when Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote the Shulchan Aruch, why did he decide to call it Shulchan Aruch? What does it have to do with Halacha? Shulchan Aruch means a set table. You know, you come on Shabbat from Shul, Friday night, your wife set up the table, everything is in place, Baruch Hashem, all the Moroccan salads everywhere, the wines, the whiskey, the chalot, plates, the napkins, you know, it's, it's Shulchan Shabbat, it's like a king. That's called Shulchan Aruch. You ask Israeli kids in Israel, tell me what Shulchan Aruch means. It's a table with a map, a tablecloth. Nobody knows that it's the Jewish book of law. Why Rabbi Yosef Karo called Shulchan Aruch Shulchan Aruch? Because of two words in Rashi on Parashat Mishpatim. Ve'ele ha'mishpatim asher tasim lifneem, Rashi writes... 
like a shulchan aruch, like you set up a table, everything is in place. Write the halachot like a set table. This is here, the knife is here, the, 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 the glass is here, the plate one on top of, all in order. Because he wrote, Kmo Shulchan Aruch, you have to write it, he decides if the holy mount of Rashi say Shulchan Aruch, that's what we're going to call it, Shulchan Aruch. But how he came out, nothing is coincidence, nothing is random. After concluding all the subjects, accidentally, on, or not, on it came to 1,005 chapters. Numeric value of the four names. Orachayim, Even Ezer, Yoredea, and Choshenu Mishpat. Exactly 1,705. Unbelievable, huh? <laughs> Tov, I think we finished for today. Wow, it's already 11.30. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Chalani, Amen Akashi Aomer. Ratzah, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen. Ratzah, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen. Ratzah,